Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Thank you for joining us on episode number 95 of the 30-something movie podcast, although this time around we're not talking so much movies. Uh, we will a little bit, but um, we wanted to finish... Finish. Funish. That's like Funyuns. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you have Funyuns? I don't have Are you holding out? I'm not holding Dude, out. Dude, I'm a fat man. I enjoy Funyuns. I'm sorry. I don't like onions, though, so I don't really like Funyuns. I like the name. Well, the f- don't look at me that way. Sorry. <laughs> I pictured you as a big Funyun. I know. It's... <laughs> Kind of that Homer Simpson thing going there. <laughs> Onions. Oh. Alrighty. Well, we digest. <laughs> not um, well. Not well. <laughs> uh, with 1986 being such a pivotal year in the comic book industry, we've done a, a series of episodes over the summer and into the fall, exploring some of those major events that happened in the comic book world in '86 and how that has impacted modern movies or kind of our modern take on certain characters and superheroes. Um, we started off with the Man of Steel miniseries. We looked at the Watchmen comic, and we are concluding our series with Frank Miller's, would you call it game-changing? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely game-changing? Yeah. Okay. Game-changing take on the Batman with The Dark Knight Returns. Um, so I'm joined this time by a couple of fellow comic book nerds. I will let you guys introduce yourselves. Go ahead. You know me. It's Hefe. Go. And to my right is uh, my, my, my brother, my best friend in life, Tony, who is also a diehard comic book nerd, but Tony, why don't you take a minute or two and just sort of let the people know who you are and why the hell they should listen to you. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, <laughs> Batman fan extraordinaire, uh, aficionado all my life, and uh, Dark Knight Returns was actually the uh, first Batman comic I was ever exposed to growing up, so uh, I hold a very special place for this book in my heart. Nice. All right. Well, we have we have a, a few things though. We kind of had on our list. We're like, yeah, let's just get together and talk about the Dark Knight Returns. And then we started making a list, and it's like, okay, well, we got to talk about this. There's and, a lot. And this. There's, and a there's lot. this. And and it, those of you that are listening to this when this is coming out, in the last what would you say week and a half, there's been a, a crap ton, a metric crap ton, of a triumvirate. Com- a, you could say a triumvirate of 
a crap ton. Are we keeping the crap ton, or is that replacing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't lots know. of comic goodness. It's lots of comic goodness. Lots of just general goodness everywhere. Movies, comics, superheroes. Yeah. I don't know. You name it, it's there. So Well, do- so a lot of the focus of this episode is going to be DC. Mm-hmm. But before we get into DC, let's talk a couple things Marvel. Okay, go for it. And before, I was going to say, let's start with Logan. Before mm-hmm. we do that, oh, yeah. let's talk Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah, let's. Because that trailer showed up. Yeah. thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Did you see the... Have you seen I, the I saw it. Um, you know what? I'm on board. Just take all my money. Uh, <laughs> this is a glorious time to be alive. You know, to think that we live in an age where culture at large embraces a talking raccoon and tree. Like, this is glorious. You know? And uh, that is just realized in the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is coming out and I gotta say, I mean, the trailer, yeah, give me more. More, more, more. I feel very safe being a nerd in public now. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I've, I'm able, I'm, I've been able to buy my milk every day because no one's taking my milk money. Right. <laughs> right. You know, when grown adults are saying, I am Groot, you know, in the office, mm-hmm. like, hey, it's okay. Yeah, I, it's broken through some, some social context there to levels that I don't think anyone ever really expected. Mm. Um, but just to be so adored by so many, they're doing something right. And Guardians 2 just looks like a lot of fun. My worry, and you know, the ultimate deciding factor of this is going to be once the movie comes out and we get a chance to see the whole thing. My worry is that they don't go over the, you know, I don't want them to go over the top because the first one was so well loved and received. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was very surprising that it did as well as it did. I don't want them to lose that. Right. I don't want them to think, oh, well, we're in. We got this. Shoot so, for the moon. Let's so, go. so now we can just do whatever we want and people are going to love it. Because that's yeah. when that's when you get Batman versus Superman. Right. So, I mean, oh, being a you, teaser. I, I, I went you, you there. You went there, did you? <laughs> I went there. You know, being a teaser, it, it played its cards close to its chest. Um, there were nice little character moments. I love that scene where... Uh, Drax and uh, Peter hug it out and like, do you, you want to hug? Just, no, I, no, no, I most certainly do not. Oh, you just, you just need to find a woman as pathetic as you are. <laughs> do you need a hug? <laughs> no, I most certainly do not. Uh, uh, I, I, I thought I said no. 
Now, from what I've read online, it seems that Yondu and Nebula will be joining the team this time around in some fashion. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, having them be the antagonists in the first movie, I'm kind of excited to see what the new dynamic will be as the team, as the family kind of grows a little larger. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Is everybody on board? Yeah. You know, is everyone going to be as accepting of these these guys joining uh, the team, or is there going to be some friction there? Like, you know what, you may be in charge, you may say, come on board, but I'm not there yet. Speaking of not being there yet, uh, my one reservation regarding uh, the movie is this whole idea that, uh, what, did I read that Kurt Russell is going to play Ego, the living planet? Yeah. (laughs) You know, you were mentioning earlier about being worried about it going too far. Yeah. What could possibly go too far than (laughs) Kurt Russell being a sentient planet with a mustache? Like, it just... Yeah, I mean, and and that's like, that's the kind of stuff you hear, you're like... As long as um, they play it like the turtle from NeverEnding Story, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) If it's it's on the same lines as Morla, I'm I'm all in. But did it really happen? I think it happened. (laughs) But did it happen? Let me call Pat, I'll ask him. Patrick... (laughs) Call in Patrick. But, you know, I mean, if they play their cards right, you know, the same movie-going audience that was okay with a talking tree that could only say, I'm Groot, maybe they're on board. Well, I mean, the, the whole Guardians universe, they pulled it off. So, you know, who's to say that they can't pull off uh, Kurt Russell doing this? I'm I'm very optimistic, and you know, as long as, as, as like I said, as long as they don't get out of control and don't lose the heart that the first one really had, yeah. then cool, bring it. Here's my money. Agreed. Also, bring me another awesome soundtrack because <laughs> <laughs> the first one was on repeat in my car for a very long time. The, the moment they pulled out Volume Two, the the tape of Volume Two at the end of the first movie, I'm yeah. Like, Done. Let's go. <laughs> I, number one, I want to hear what's on this. Here's my thirteen ninety nine. Go ahead. <laughs> done. Thirteen ninety nine. Oh, for the soundtrack. Yeah. I'm like factoring in movie tickets multiple times. No, just for the soundtrack. Oh, just for the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, to me, yeah. That's that's the thing. Is that the Guardians of the Galaxy universe, like you said, it's you should see some ridiculous list. Ridiculous. <laughs> cannot talk today. Let's try that again. Some weird stuff. Let's do, let's do something with less symbols. Small, <laughs> small, small words. Small words. Small words. Keep small words, small mind. Simple. You know. There you go. All right. You can. Never mind. White girl. Um, <clears throat> sure. Okay. What? I, I hate you. Um, Except you don't, and that's what makes I this don't, work. And that's fine. That's fine. Um, I mean, you should see some craziness. It should be like they're out in the universe. You should see some weird stuff going on. And I think that's that's what I liked about the first Guardians movie is that it was so colorful. Like you had these different races and different beings. You could have a sentient tree. You could have all this other stuff. You could have a raccoon walking around and talking. And it wasn't, it didn't seem stupid and ridiculous. We'll see, I got it that time. Um, <laughs> Good it, job. Thank you. It was baby steps. Um, and that's what I liked about the movie was they did it, like you were saying, they did it in such a way that it didn't seem too comic booky. No, and like, I think yeah, like this, this is, could actually be yeah, a real story. Gunn's, yeah. Gunn's directing of the movie was such that he he kind of held our hand and ushered us into this irreverent kind mm-hmm. of tone, you yeah. know, where 
these things are natural. They are to right. be expected. Hey, it's okay. It is a talking rac- raccoon. You can still have fun. Right. And audiences ate it up. Yeah. So, I mean, if, you know, provided that he maintains that balance of the extraordinary and the comical, mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why we can't expect more of the same. And yeah. God, it's going to be such a great ride. Well, I think, and I think the way they did with Peter Quill, you know, having him just accept that this is all the way life is. Like, he's a human, and we're, we're supposed to kind of relate to him and say, okay, well, he's a human, and he doesn't seem to be weirded out by the fact that he's, you know, in his yeah, ship yeah. Uh, making out with a you know, blue or green girl <laughs> or whatever she was. And um, this doesn't seem to be, you know, a weird thing to him at all. And making the little cracks that they do, like, um, he talks about the, the one time he made out with the one, I forget what type of girl she was, and he's like, but the, you know, they've got all those teeth or something like that. <laughs> like, he's just doing, he's playing this off as if this is everyday life. And it doesn't seem to be a big deal to him, so yeah. I mean, all let's the, go along for the ride. All the actors portrayed their characters that their characters believed what was going on. There was not a moment where the where you're looking at like, wow, he doesn't really, he's not in it. Right. You no, know, they were all in it. They all accepted it as reality, and it read that way to the to the viewing audience. So it definitely worked, and, and as long as they can keep that lightheartedness. Yeah. And uh, keep it grounded in the reality in which they've already set up, then volume two is just going to be outstanding. I'm excited. I'm ready for it. Speaking of excited, before we before we talk about Logan for a second, let's just it, it happened last night. Let's get it out. The Cubs are on the way to the World Series. Can't say lose. that very often. This is where, this is where we're going to lose Tony because he's a Sox fan. Okay. Well, then you know the next time Haley's comic comes around, we can talk about this again. <laughs> oh, I'll be dead. I am a Sox fan, but I, you guys did an amazing job, and you know the more sensible of us are, are rooting for you, and uh, which is very appreciative because there were there were there were some back and forths on Facebook last night yeah. where uh, there were some not kind people. Really. Because on my on fans. my Facebook, well, that's the funny thing. On my Facebook, I saw the opposite. I saw people from all different teams. Oh, absolutely! Coming in and saying, "Hey, congratulations, the, you guys! The, there it's was, been a long time. There you, was plenty you of that. It. There was plenty of that, <laughs> yeah. which was awesome. But there were some people that were you, that wanted nothing to do with it. You're or, friends with some jerks. <laughs> yeah. Well, not anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm a couple friends lighter on Facebook there you now. Go. But no, and oh, you know, poor Dennis. <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, Denny. Um, uh, I mean, it's it's been fun watching watching them. The energy in last night's game, in particular, was just incredible from from the get go. Uh, you know, Hendricks pitched a hell of a game, got the first three outs in less than ten pitches, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of, you just sort of knew. Mm-hmm. Like after that, you're like, this is going to be good. He's he's focused. The Cubs let up Kershaw early, which is what they needed to do to get past him. Um, Javi Baez has been exciting to watch mm-hmm. all throughout this postseason. Kids, he's so fast with, with, with his hands and making incredible smart plays. That at first, like what you know, when he when he had that double play a couple of games ago, he let the ball drop right in front of him, and you're like, "What are you doing?" And he realized he had already thought through the double mm-hmm. play he wanted to create with that move. And you know, he's just so quick with it. The only thing he did last night that bugged me a little bit was he ran over and. and uh, caught a pop fly that was Rizzo had called for, mm-hmm. had called guys off. It was right next to first base, so it was 
and all for all intents and purposes, it was Rizzo's should have been Rizzo's out to out to make. And sure enough, Javi popped in there and all. You know, granted, Javi also was calling everyone off at the same time that Rizzo was. But you know, just I was really worried. I'm like, you know, he's starting to showboat a little bit. Yeah. And I don't want to see that happen. I want I I like the fact he's been great, but very humble about it. Mm-hmm. Keep, so, your, keep your head in the game. But you know, we got really good series coming up against mm-hmm. Cleveland. Both teams are in a drought. The Cubs. You know, everyone knows that the Cubs. Championship drought. Mm-hmm. The you know the last time the Indians won a World Series was nineteen forty eight. Yeah. So both teams are due. Right. So it should be good. I'm very excited, very hopeful. Are you willing to make any predictions right now as to how many games before the Cubs take it? Cubs in six. All right. That's which, which is actually what you said for this last series too. Yeah. 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 That's what I said for this last okay. series. I, I don't. I'm not cocky enough to believe that the Cubs are going to walk into the World Series and take it in four. Oh yeah. Or five. Yeah. You know, I think they'll take it in six. It could be a similar series to what we okay. just saw. Yeah. 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 I, the kids have already asked, like, we're going to go out and we, we're a little light on some of our Cubs gear. So Did they ask you to take them to the game? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we started looking at some ticket prices the other day, and we're like, okay, we have, I looked at... Um, take a second mortgage out. Well, I know. See, I looked at some the other day, and that was before, obviously, we were officially in the World Series. Some of the ticket prices were like $1,000 per seat. And I'm like, nope, nope, can't do a thousand dollars. But looked at it today, or somebody, somebody I know posted it up today, and they found some tenth row seats behind one of the dugouts. I'm not going to want to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty thousand a piece. Oh no! Jesus. <laughs> and the thing is, every seat will be sold. Yeah. Oh, Wrigley Field somebody, will somebody, be packed. Somebody will pay that. Sta- money. It'll be standing room only. Oh, uh-huh. It'll be over forty-one thousand people. I want to say in the, the park. I want to say another, the standing room only seats are about a thousand. Another thirty thousand outside the park. Yeah, it was crazy in Wrigleyville mm-hmm. last night. We have some friends that live and this in is Wrigleyville, only, and they were putting up on Facebook what was going on. And, this is only the championship series. Right. It's not the World Series. <laughs> no, like what is going to happen? And, if, I will, and when they and win I, the World Series. And I will series. say, we are going to go stock up some more on our Cubs gear, get a couple more T-shirts, maybe some jerseys, some hats, things like that. I am definitely purchasing my official Cubs defibrillator for the World Series. <laughs> if it's anything like this last series, it, I'm going to have to have that on hand or borrow the one we've got here at the school. Well, there's a couple here, so I'll take one, too. Okay. Let's take those because I, I have a feeling we're going to need that for a couple of the games. Yes. Go Cubbies. Mm-hmm. It's looking All right. good. All right. <clears throat> so we got that part out of the way. Um Back to comics. Sorry for the people that listen to us in Russia and Ireland. You probably don't care about this. Go Cubskies. Yeah, there you go. Is that offensive? I probably. I'm sorry, no, guys. That's okay. We'll find out. Okay, well, you <laughs> apologize. Yeah. If you well, here you go. So nobody's ever giving us any reviews on iTunes, so we'll just say if you're offended, go give us drop us a line. I don't know if we want that type of review. We'll take anything. Okay, we'll take anything. Go whatever you want to do. Go review. You know, give us a negative review if you want. And actually, it's it's like golf scores. If you give us five stars, it's actually a bad review. Yeah, give one, yeah. one, one star reviews, folks. Yeah. One st- mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Alrighty. Um, so, Logan. 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 Holy crap. Wow. Like, I, I was not expecting to see that trailer when mm-hmm. I did. I It just popped up on my Twitter feed, and I couldn't find it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like an exclusive thing to yeah. Twitter. Yeah. And I watched it and just sat and stared at my computer for a good three or four minutes afterwards, Mm -hmm. letting it all sink in, and then immediately jumped on Facebook and and told Tony about it, Mm -hmm. and then right after that texted it to Mm -hmm. you and Pat to take a look at because, wow. Yeah. Logan, 
What did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real what is she beneath the she's like you of time very much like you the feelings disappear she needs our help you are someone to come along someone has come along I am still right here and you could have it all my empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt I will keep myself I would find I remember I, I was at work when I got your text and I just stopped what I was doing and watched it, watched it again, watched it a third time before I even posted it to my Facebook wall mm-hmm. and then started sending it out to all my friends. It was like, <laughs> yeah, I, you, no, you need to watch this mm-hmm. now. So, so let's dissect this a little bit. Clearly, it's an Old Man Logan story. Mm-hmm. How close you're going to stick to the Old Man Logan story arc, who knows. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of this being Hugh Jackman's swan song. Let's go out with style. Let's go out with a bang. Let's take let's take this character really that he created. Yeah. In all honesty, yeah. he originated he, the role. he this is th- this is his thing. So let him take it out in a way that he's comfortable doing. So let's fast forward to a point where something's happened that seemingly he's shutting down. He doesn't have the uh, the regenerative abilities that he had, you know, because in the trailer you see he's got scars on his you, back. You, and, he's got scars. He's shaking a little bit. He yeah, doesn't seem to have bloody knuckles that aren't quite healing. So between that and a much older looking uh, Professor X, mm-hmm. which was which made my heart sad a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I was just like, oh wow, I I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. All of that with the underscore of. Uh, Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. Mm-hmm. Which was just haunting. What yeah. a great choice of song. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, the song itself, his his version of it is haunting in and of itself. Yeah. When Nine Inch Nails recorded it, you're just like, okay. Then all of a sudden, Johnny Cash gets a hold of it, reworks it, and it's like he sings about his life. Because mm-hmm. he died well, not long after. Like, Months after, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, well, the, especially the the music video that yeah. he, have you seen the music video for it that Johnny Cash did? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, I was, I, you know, you watch that music video, like he gets it. He's yeah. allowed to sing this. Song. He's had enough life experience that, <laughs> like, he's earned the right to sing this. Nine Inch Nails, thanks for writing it. Right. I don't quite know that 
you're at a point where you can really appreciate your own words. I think, or at least it's not as impactful. Right. Yeah. I I I love how you know who who better to convey the hurt and suffering and life of just pure torture that Logan has endured all these years than the Man in Black. Yeah. It it was just a perfect marriage of you know visual and audio and as soon as as soon as I heard. Uh, the first few uh, guitar strums on the trailer, I was like, (gasps) (laughs) oh my God, this just got better. And I will say, watching that trailer for the first time, and I I don't have this reaction with a lot of comic book movies as much as I love them. Watching that trailer, I'm halfway through that trailer, I'm like, this could win an Oscar. And I know I'm only seeing yeah, I, I'm it, only seeing the trailer, so it doesn't I, I hate like to jump it, to that conclusion. It and doesn't say, look like a comic book movie, right? I hate to jump to that conclusion and be like, "Oh, it's the greatest thing ever! It's going to win an Oscar." But I'm watching this and I'm like, I I already like I'm, I'm seeing this whole this brief glimpse of the relationship between. I love the fact that it looks like we're going to spend some time with Logan and Charles, like they're almost like a, a buddy movie with them hanging out with each other. But you know those scenes where they're in the car driving around and, and where he you know seems to be yeah. there with him when he's bedridden or whatever it is and and I'm I'm just looking at that and I'm thinking something about this does not feel comic book movieish. No. There's a scene so where there's the, uh, something about this that makes me jump to the like this could be you know uh, just like with the dark knight. You know, people are saying you know that's it's a comic book movie but there's some great performances in this. It could be a, a just a serious yeah. crime drama. I'm looking at this thinking well Crap, could be the same thing. I mean, yeah. this, this doesn't feel like a superhero movie to There's me. that moment where the, uh, like you were saying, the uh, they're driving in the car and the car starts to, you know, it gets thrown yeah. off track and it's kind of like spinning around and it, it occurred to me, as it did you, from the sound of it, it, it doesn't look like a superhero movie. It doesn't have that right. same aesthetic that, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 does. Right. And that's that's all right. I mean, it is rooted in a real world. Seemingly, this look that it comes across as a very human story, right? A much deeper story. So I hope that they don't inundate us with too many other characters. Mm-hmm. Let's really get into the psyche of Logan at this point in his life. Mm-hmm. Everything that he's been through. How has that affected Logan the man? Not not the Wolverine, Logan the man, because he's always had that conflict within himself of living as the mutant. Mm-hmm. He's never seemingly been happy about behaving as the Wolverine, at least in the way it's depicted in the movies. It's something that he's felt is his responsibility to do when he's called to do it or when he feels there's no other choice. But he's never really been happy about superheroing the way that other superheroes have. No. So let's really look at Logan the man. I mean, it's called Logan, right? So right. I mean, we can assume you've, that you've made the choice not to call to not to call it Wolverine. Right. Let's look Wolverine, at the, the other half of this being right. the real human half and give him a real human story. And the little girl, how is this gonna? How is she gonna play into this story? Mm-hmm. What effect is she gonna have on him? So I, I might have some insight to shed on that. Um, the understanding on the internet for now seems to be that this girl is going to be X-23, who Hmm. uh, is essentially a clone of Wolverine. That in comics continuity... She's she's the current Wolverine now, isn't she? She is the current Wolverine right now. I haven't read a lot of Marvel lately, but I do. um, I've heard that part. There was kind of a 
father son like or father daughter sorry relationship between the two of them uh, in previous continuity. So that kind of begs the question: if Wolverine is if Hugh Jackman I should say is stepping down from movie continuity, will this girl kind of come up as the new Wolverine? Either that or her character, because she's very young, so I can't see them using her, that actress per se, for future installments, but at least introduce this version, this character of Wolverine. Right, right. And then, you know, recast if need be or whatever. Yeah, we have now put X-23 in this continuity. It's very very much passing the torch, right? So, you know, like I said, it looks like it's Hugh Jackman's swan song with the character and saying goodbye to being this character that really gave him a, a good career in the movies. So I'm very excited for it. Um, John had the typical reaction of taking out his wallet and just throwing it on the computer. <laughs> which he, you tend to I've do done that. I've done that a lot lately. Usually I, I come at you with a trailer and you we end it with it's, you throwing your wallet at... It started with Civil War. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time. And I then saw that every time I come at you with yep, a trailer, no. just like, save right, yourself, we'll save see. yourself the time and write a blank check to well, Disney. Well, and see, the irony is, the irony is, there's nothing in my wallet, so I'm, I'm, I'm I am throwing a, well, you know, totally empty wallet at the computer screen. Welcome but, to teaching. <laughs> you know, it's eventually I will. Welcome you know, to teaching. Knock over a liquor store, and get enough money to go see some movies this summer. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm excited yeah. for, for this one for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about DC? Let's let's transition from Marvel movies to yeah. DC TV, mm-hmm. specifically what the CW has been doing. Again, with... let's do our transition we've done for everything else so far this show. Holy crap! Right, everything <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, given now five nights in the middle of the week, Monday through Friday, four of them are now dominated by a DC TV show on the CW network. I need an extra day of the week so I can catch up on all the shows that I have. Right. If I'm not home on a particular night, and we never watch TV, we don't have cable, so we never watch TV when it actually airs. Right. And so I have this app to help me keep track for all the other you know things that you have to keep track of in your life. I have an app that helps me just keep track of all the shows that I've missed. And I will go down the list and be like, oh man, we're two episodes behind in Supergirl. We're two episodes behind in Flash. We're two episodes behind an arrow. <laughs> yeah, I forget arrow. Um, you know, but I, I mean, I have to go through this list, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe tonight we can catch up on like two episodes of this one and three of this one, and then there's it's almost getting to the beat where it's too much, and I can't believe I'm saying that, but I'm looking at it and like, crap, no, CW. A, a, a number of <laughs> years on. ago, b- before there were apps, right? I, I had. Uh, I think I still have. I should show you. I made a spreadsheet in there Google Docs. There you go. Of I had like twenty one or twenty two shows a week. I was okay. trying to keep up with. Yeah. So I just did like a whole spreadsheet, and mm-hmm. I would mark off. Okay, I've seen this one. I black out the box. There's no episode this week, <laughs> so I know I didn't miss it. There just wasn't anything. Right. I think well, I still have it. I should and, show it to you because it was the way it, the way it was when you know after Smallville and all this coming. I religiously watched Smallville the moment it started. Every week I was there, but. When they had when they had Arrow, I was like, okay, well, we'll give Arrow a try. Liked Arrow, you know, for the first maybe two, three seasons, and then mm-hmm. it kind of has trickled off a little bit there. Um, and then Flash came along, and I was like, oh, I love, I love this show. This is the best. So then we would kind of be back and forth between Flash and Arrow, and then all of a sudden it's 
Supergirl. It's Legends of Tomorrow. It's uh, when Constantine was on. I was trying to watch that. It just it was everything all at once. And I love that I'm they like, brought. I can't keep up. <laughs> they brought that actor and mm-hmm. character of Constantine into Arrow. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. like an episode or yeah. two, which was awesome. Yeah. So as far as the current CW lineup uh, is concerned, do you guys have a favorite show at this point? Flash. It's a lot. Flash. Flash. Yeah. 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 I mean, they they're doing everything right. Even tackling so far, tackling this. Uh, Flashpoint storyline, yeah. they're doing it right for them and their medium. Mm-hmm. It's ambitious, too. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, for I mean, nothing for, less than Flashpoint Paradox. For a third season of a TV show to take on something like Flashpoint and not only take it on, but have to rework it so it fits within their, their context, man, I'm impressed with, with the creative juices behind it. I'm impressed with the execution of it. Um, and I love every episode you're getting a little glimpse more and more of how close Barry's gotten back to the reality he wants and yet how very, very far yeah. we are from the reality that, no. that he wants. No, the funny thing is, and I'm several episodes behind on The Flash, too. I think I've only watched the first episode. I think there's only the, been three. It's a three. Point. Okay. Um, I was listening to another podcast that talks all about The Flash show, and the funny point they kind of brought up was he's in this the Flashpoint universe, whatever you want to call it. He's in this, and the only person who has a worse situation is Joe. You know, he's starting to forget that he's the Flash, and so he could potentially lose his powers. But so far, the only person who is worse off is Joe. Otherwise, his parents are both alive. You know, Iris is doing fine. Wally's doing fine. Everybody else is doing fine. Um, Cisco is a, a millionaire, billionaire, whatever he is. Everybody's doing fine. And so the point they made on their show was... Well, Barry, that's kind of a jerk. Like everybody's alive and doing fine, except for Joe. So you decide, nope, I gotta go fix it. You've saved <laughs> yeah, he's he's saved his biological father, but right. he's making his dad suffer as a result. Mm-hmm, right. And so now he's trying to contend with these two things, like, well, on the one hand, he's doing good. On the right. other hand, this guy that I'm gonna go back me. to a world where everybody's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and um you know, just to kind of play off that concept, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the, one of the things I like most about the Flash show is that in making Barry this young, I've noticed kind of an interesting parallel between his story on the TV uh, show and Bruce Wayne's origins, just in terms of a young man coming to grips with the death of his parents. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool within that context to see how wildly the two different characters spin off. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of the conflict over the three seasons of Flash has just been as a result of him either trying to come to grips with his uh, dad's incarceration, his mom's death, and then failing spectacularly at coming to terms with that. You know, I mean, like, Flashpoint started because... He said, no, forget this. I, right. I've i got this power. I'm going to go save my mom. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, buddy? Now you get to pay the price. Yeah. yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. You know, it, it's so cliche to say that now, especially when we're talking superheroes. But, I mean, really, that's what it gets down to when we look at all the, the different uh, presentations of superheroes in these different shows, and, and really in the comics as well. They are individuals that have to find a balance. And that seems to be a lot of the struggle, especially early on in some of the seasons of these TV shows. It's finding that balance between doing things with good intent or 
knowing better than to do them at all. That heroic notion of serving the greater good, and Barry still can't come to terms with that. He, he doesn't wrap his head around it as, as much as you would expect, and now you know we're a few seasons into Flashpoint, and he's realizing, oh, you know, I can't get away with this. There is a cost to pay. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, each time he kind of he thinks he's coming back into his timeline. Well, no, it's still a little off. Right. You're making things worse. And it's, like I said, it, it's that realization that as close as he is, you know, um, you know, spoiler for anyone that hasn't watched episodes. Spoilers. Um, he finds out that Diggle from Arrow has a son instead of a daughter. Hmm. Like, he's working, Flash is working with Felicity, and a picture comes up of, I think it's either of a little boy or Diggle and a little boy. Yeah. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, that's Diggle's son. And he just has this moment of, oh, oh, no, I did it again. (laughs) And so it's those moments of, like, I... I don't, and now he's stuck in this place of I don't know how to fix this. Mm-hmm. I've I've taken off or I've bit off way more than I can chew, and I didn't realize it at the time. And now it's a monumental mess. And at least he realizes he has to be the one to fix it. He's not trying to put this on other people or tell other people you need to fix this because I don't know how. Yeah. It's you need to help me learn how to fix this. You know, ninety five percent of the time. Barry is so selfless in giving of himself and his abilities and the one, for the betterment. The one time that he th- that he puts himself yeah. first, he screws up <laughs> monumentally. He just, he just has this one little thing. He yeah. fails so hard and has created now, what, like three different timelines? <laughs> well, he created two. He was on his timeline. Well. And then he's created two separate timelines now. And he just doesn't know. At least he knows enough now to stop creating timelines. Mm-hmm but he doesn't know how to fix what he's done. So I'm really eager to see how they play with that throughout this season. But I also hope they don't go too far with that. Because I'm, I'm, worried that, I'm worried that if they keep going with this, it becomes too much of a quantum leap type show where that's all he's doing is he's going like trying to fix things that he put that he made wrong. And I don't think they will, you know, knowing yeah. other seasons that they've done. I don't think that they will take that too far, but because I remember the first time I heard, you know, somebody somewhere in an article or, or blog or whatever say, "Flash is going to deal with time travel." I'm like, "Yes, let's go, <laughs> bring it, <laughs> bring it, let's see it." Um, and the first few times they did that, where like he would see the ghost of himself as he's running, and then boom, all of a sudden something's different. I was like, "Okay, cool, awesome. I love anything time travel. I love." If it, and, and again, I've only seen the first episode of this season. Mm-hmm. From what I'm hearing. I'm not worried yet, but I'm if, not if the all. season goes too far into the oh I gotta fix what I did wrong and I, oh this thing is still different I gotta jump back and I gotta fix that now and I, if it if that keeps going for too long I think I'm gonna get a little antsy. With on the, whole time the uh, thing. on Kevin Smith's Fat Man <clears throat> on Batman <clears throat> podcast uh, he's now directing uh, or he's been directing a few episodes of Flash and okay. he did confirm it's not gonna take the entire season. Okay, so it will because I like off. I like some of that. I just don't want that to be like the yeah. the thing that overshadows other fun superhero if stories anything, that we can do. If anything, they're using the idea of things that are not right mm-hmm. as a reminder for Barry to learn more about himself and his powers mm-hmm. as opposed to putting it on a list of things I need to fix. Right. It's right. more like 
wow, I, you know, here's another way I affected this timeline mm-hmm. when I didn't mean to. Yeah. I really need to learn how to train, control. train myself better. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's the vibe I'm getting from it okay. now. Yeah. Vibe like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's I I think Flash is the strongest DC TV show, mm-hmm. not just on CW, but mm-hmm. the strongest TV t, uh, comic TV show there is at this point. Well, and the Flash is the one that I, if I had to, if if somebody said you need to narrow down the number of, I don't know why they would tell me this, but if you need to narrow down the number of superhero shows you watch to one, you can only watch one. I'm like, mm, Flash, Flash done. Yeah. yeah, because it's it's what I want my superheroes to be. Like, and we kind of had this discussion back with Batman Superman. I want my superheroes to be happy that they have superpowers. I want them to enjoy it. I want them to have fun. I don't necessarily want them to sit there and brood over the fact that, oh, I've got this responsibility. Right. Because then you get because then you get the, the, well, well, then yeah, I was say you get the grounded storyline from Superman comics. Okay. So, just to go back to your point about Arrow. Yeah. So. Because um, I've I've actually given up on Arrow. We kind of we were four episodes from the end of last season. And it was during the whole like back and forth of him and Felicity, and my wife and I were just like, uh, do, do, do we feel like we need to get caught up in this one? No? Flash and Supergirl? Okay. Well, right. I, I think I have a theory for that. Um, Berlanti's got this wonderful little TV universe mm-hmm. set up for himself, yeah. and you cannot dispute the fact that every superhero property that he brings to air is it, mince gold. Oh, yeah. And I... I think I had heard on a, a, another podcast that his formula for these TV shows is that in their writer's room, they've got a mantra that says, essentially, every episode needs to have heart, humor, and heroics, mm-hmm. and what, which kind of goes back to what you want to see in your heroes. Right. You want those three qualities. Yeah. And Arrow seems to be the one not quite following that mantra. Mm-hmm. Which is ironic since that was the show that kicked off the right, Berlin right, universe. Right. And it's a shame because um, But no. but remember, Arrow was the first show to show up after Smallville. Right. Yeah. So Smallville made some mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. Arrow learned from some of those mistakes, yeah. but still made some more. So each show is feeding into the next mm-hmm. offshoot with a better product. Right. So Arrow's only the second offering out of now right. overall, like five I mean, or six I'm, different shows that, I would say uh, that they've created. Writing-wise, overall, Arrow is a much more well-written show than Smallville ever was. Yeah, absolutely. Now, sure. grant, now, granted, I love Smallville because I love my Superman, but right, right on. You know, Arrow, definitely much more well-written I mean, that second was. season with Deathstroke was, mm-hmm. and oh my it's, God, yeah. epic. So I'm still keeping up with Arrow. Mm-hmm. At first, it was out of a sense of obligation because I started with it. I didn't want to quit right. on it. That's what the whole last season was. I wish for us I could was. quit you. Yeah. Um, this season is going, it's starting to, to come around the, the curve a little bit. Okay. And I like how they're setting some things up. Yeah. Um, Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, he's putting together a new team. You know, Thea okay. has left, yeah. Diggle has left, yeah. and he's now assembling a new team. Which is great because it, he's not relying on his friends. Mm-hmm. He's relying on other uh, vigilantes. Okay. So it's a different dynamic that he's bringing, especially as team leader. He's also serving as mayor. Oh, okay. So, which is, you know, it brings a different side of the character mm-hmm. out because it's just been, you know, brooding Oliver mm-hmm. all of season four. Yeah. And now it's, it's, He's got a public persona that he has to worry about, which 
brings in a good a good amount of conflict within himself. How much how much can I still do as Green Arrow without uh, stepping back from my responsibilities now as mayor? Uh, he brought in Quentin. He just named Quentin his deputy mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's some heart that's starting to to come out of this as well. That's good. Which is what Arrow's been missing. Yeah, it's been missing the heart for sure. Yeah. It's had the heroics, not even a lot of humor, yeah. but definitely no heart as they did the whole uh, Damian Dark storyline. Yeah. Which started off, interestingly enough, but yeah. w- went on way too long. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear that uh, Flashpoint isn't going to be stretched out over 22 or 24 episodes. Right. That yeah. they, It's like they learned from the Damian Dark storyline, let's maybe make it the first half of the season. Or how you know we don't need to take this one thing and make it the entire story arc, um, which jumping networks real quick. Gotham is also learning that same uh, that same lesson. We can do I gave small up on, gave small storylines throughout one season. It doesn't have to be one overarching thing all the time. And you know what it it reads more as a comic book that way. Hmm. Because when you think of a, uh, of a story arc in a comic book, it's only, what, five to seven issues, really, that you'll find a, a story arc before a shift happens. Mm-hmm. So why not treat each episode of a TV show as a comic book issue? Let's run this story <coughs> arc five to seven episodes, and then let's go on to the next thing. So hopefully, you know, if, if that's a formula that they're actually going to follow, that's going to do a lot more for... Uh, for these TV shows that have struggled to find their footing, like Gotham and yeah. Arrow. When you mention about Arrow, it, it almost kind of makes me want to go back and give Arrow a second chance when you mention that he's like having to deal with a whole different dynamic of being start elected with, mayor. Start and, with season five. Don't, I, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go back and finish. Don't skip three and four entirely. <laughs> I mean, season, we were We were like three quarters of the way through four. I mean, with four, you end up getting, you know, you find out that they've got a secret world, that they're, uh, it's like very Stepford. Mm-hmm. That Damien Dark is running, yeah. and like you're just like, what is yeah, that was, going on? Yeah, and it ended up coming, you know, ended up coming down to a street brawl between the citizens of. Uh, Wasn't that how season three ended? <laughs> and two, and two. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have the citizens. Well, of Well, we've city. got our formula. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do heart, heroism, and street brawls. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it was. Yeah, and it came down to just. Fighting in the street, yeah. the citizens fighting back, and well, I'll be curious. I mean, because ever... Oliver gave a great speech towards the end of season four, yeah. reigniting the heart within the city which, and the citizens, which of the he city. also did in season three, and season so, two, right? right. <laughs> so hopefully, heart heroism speeches and street brawls. Yes, <laughs> that's the, that's the formula for writing an episode of Arrow. There so hey, let's start. <laughs> let's start doing this. I think we could do that. I think we could write an episode. Why not, did you ever read the comic book Ex Machina? No. I read that for a while, and I liked the premise of it. It was, and I think I found a whole bunch of the graphic novels, maybe at like a half price books or, or somewhere, and picked a whole bunch up. And the premise of the story is the um, I don't know if he's the only superhero in the world. I, I forget that part of it, but he's a superhero who, in the wake of nine eleven, actually gets elected mayor of New York City. So not only is he, you know, and I think the first story was like it it begins on his hundredth day in office or something like that so he not only does he have to do the whole superhero thing but he's also the mayor of new york city so he's got to deal with 
leading yeah. a city and having a very public life, like mm-hmm. even much more than like a Clark Kent who's a reporter, very public life, but he's also got to do his whole superhero thing at the same time. And I liked that. It was I liked kind of how they tried to wrestle with that dynamic. And when they started in on the, hey, Oliver's going to run for mayor, I'm like, this is a little bit like... Ex Machina. So if you've never read it, I you know take a look for it at some point. It was a good. Does the city know that, uh, or know that he has that dual identity no. that he's the Mary and the superhero? No, I, okay. from what I can, it's been years since I read it, but from what I can recall, no one knows. I, I don't know if he's got. I don't even think any of his like assistants or, or anybody like that knows that he's a superhero. So mm. it's, he's, it's still that secretive piece of it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like working with that secret identity I mean, certainly yeah. couldn't hurt. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the best characters, you know, have that conflict from Clark Kent to, you know, Peter Parker. Speaking of Clark Kent, <gasps> Supergirl has jumped. Oh, wait, wait, transition. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Supergirl jumped ship from CBS. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was a CBS thing or I don't know who made that decision. Mm-hmm. If CBS was going to cancel it and then Berlanti got CW to come in. I don't know what Berlanti's stake in CW is. Like is is he like is he producing these shows or is he like somehow involved in this network as well? Now that I don't know. However, the magic worked. CW picked up Supergirl, which is where it should have been all along. Mm-hmm. CBS was a very uh, unusual choice. Well, and I think maybe that's what they realized. I think it may have been a C- CBS decision. They said, "Okay, look, we're not getting, you know, our audience is not necessarily the Supergirl audience. Right. We're not getting the numbers that we expected to get with this." So well, look let's at, let's look at the other shows. Look at the rest of their primetime well, programming, and right? So you got, yeah. you got Big Bang, <laughs> right. you got Two Broke Girls, right. you got Mom, you got you know these half hour. Maybe they thought that they had like thinking comedies. Well, maybe they thought they had like the female demographic, and then you also have the nerd demographic with Big Bang Theory. So let's go comic books, but and they didn't do, and do Supergirl. And they they, they didn't know. do anything to to right. bring the, those two together. Yeah. Using Big Bang Theory to draw people into Supergirl would have yeah. been a very smart marketing move. Right, sure. they didn't. They didn't even try to do that. Right. It was just you know superheroes are popular. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got this girl one. Mm-hmm. Come see well, what we can do with this. And I think I think their test run for seeing how it would do on the CW was when they had that crossover episode between Flash and Supergirl, which, which was, was oh my gosh, <laughs> more, <laughs> more please. They oh. are going to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh and, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Right. See, it's going to be a musical episode too. I th- is think. Really? I heard yeah. That. <laughs> I mean, I just I love it. Both of those actors apparently uh, were on Glee, so they've got the okay. singing chops. Yeah, done it. Yeah, that's true. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, it'll, um, it'll be like the episode. Did you ever watch the Batman cartoon, Batman the Brave and the Bold? I used to watch that with the kids all the time. It, it, he looks like the way he looks is like the Adam West Batman. It's it's like that type of costume. It's a cartoon. But does he sing like Adam West? <laughs> no, he doesn't seem like Adam West. He's he's almost got more of the voice of it's not Kevin Conroy, but it's more the Kevin Conroy voice. It's he kind looks of a like Gregory Peck voice there. Yeah, 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 it was a little bit. Um, he I'm looks going like to Adam be West. Your Batman. Batman. And but it's a goofy little cartoon. Like it's hilarious. It's all he's teaming up with somebody else. I always love the times he teams up with Aquaman because Aquaman is just this ridiculous guy. He just is ridiculous. He always walks in. He's and I don't know if it's a dolphin or whatever, but Nellie Bell. Nellie Bell is the dolphin that helps him to ride in all the day. And he comes in very regal, but also like very blonde, very and, Aquaman, uh, very Aquamanish. And uh, it's one of those like that's all right. Oh, Aquaman. <laughs> right. And it's cute that you try. But they had a musical episode of that cartoon, and it was Batman. And was it? It was like the Clockmaster or something like that. But the whole thing was a, a an entire musical episode. And I remember watching that with the kids on a Saturday morning. I'm just like, 
Yes. <laughs> Thank you. This is so ridiculous. It's yeah, beautiful. I love it. Do I'm kind of hoping Do it'll more. be something akin to uh, that episode of Buffy, Once More with Feeling, mm-hmm. where yeah. I, I forget what the circumstance was, but they couldn't help but break out in the song. Right. They knew they were singing, mm-hmm. and they knew they couldn't do anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, like, they'd be going through the plot and then just break out into a musical number mm-hmm. and be like, okay. It's like <laughs> that, that musical episode of Scrubs. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that worked well because you were in the context of a Broadway performer. Mm-hmm. Like, you were in her mind as she was, like, unconscious <laughs> in the hospital. So it, it was great. It yeah. was, it, I mean, that episode was a lot of How fun. they execute remains to be seen, but, oh, man. Yeah, I mean... More seemed, Flash and Supergirl, please. These shows seem to be doing very little wrong. Like I said, Arrow is kind of finding some new footing. We'll see how long it actually lasts. Yeah. I mean, it's in its fifth season. Right. We'll see if it goes past that. Mm-hmm. But these other shows, I don't watch Legends. I couldn't quite get into it, so I, I stopped watching. I still watching. haven't yet. I just I didn't have enough time to. But the fact it that it looks fun. But I mean, the fact that now it's going to be a, a you know seemingly a bigger player in the in the Berlanti mm-hmm. universe. So I kind of want to go back. Legends fan here. Um, Tony, was I heard tell me. Tie, well, tying in what we're going to be talking about later with the Dark Knight, I heard that they had a, an episode where it's set in the future, and Oliver Queen is missing an arm. Yes, yeah. I believe so that was from like the Dark Knight. <laughs> season one, if okay. I'm not mistaken. But um, like a little Dark Knight. Returns. If you are a fan of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. you will get the premise of Legends. They okay. are tapping into that same vein. Oh, okay, all right. Well, they've got their. I need to start watching. It. They've got their uh, Wave Rider time machine ship. They go through time, have adventures. They call it Wave Rider. I believe so. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you. And um, you know, it was, it's a great way to bring the C and D bench and just make some deep cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are introducing Justice Society right now. Oh, nice! And okay, I'm in. It's solid. Yeah, <laughs> done. I'm in. I mean, the first time you see Rex Tyler come up and say, "I'm our man. I'm from the Justice Society mm-hmm. of America, and you cannot go back to 1942." Mm-hmm. You're just like, "Yeah, yeah. Why? Why?" Okay, okay explain it. <laughs> well, that was like in Smallville when they did that. They did the two-part Absolute Justice. Like they called it a TV movie kind of thing, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and uh, like the first time they had, I don't know if it was in a glass case or Doctor Fate's Hawk helmet. Man died. Um, it was the one where they introduced Hawkman. Okay, he died later in that season, I think. But because I, I remember the episode, they had did like a big funeral for mm-hmm. for Hawkman. Yeah, no, this was earlier on. This was, okay. I think, that season, but like halfway through, it may have been like the mid season break. Uh, or right after the mid-season break, and it was a big two-part episode where they, like, all of a sudden, they started meeting up with these other heroes, but these other heroes were the Justice Society, and you had, like, you know, Dr. Fate, he goes into, Clark is investigating something, and he ends up at the headquarters of the Justice Society, not really knowing what it is, and I think, like, he walks past a case, and it has Dr. Fate's helmet in it, and I'm sitting there going, I remember. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Same feeling watching that episode of Constantine, Uh where that helmet was in the case. I was like, come on, (laughs) do it already! It's that kind of, I mean, that kind of stuff. Just even just throwing that stuff in. Yeah, the little Easter eggs. Kind of when we we started talking, we're like, it's safe to go out now. Yeah. We can go buy milk without being beaten up. (laughs) It's okay to be a nerd and enjoy these things. Yeah. But it's like, it used to be that, like, you'd see those little Easter egg things, and it's like, yeah, thank you. You appreciate me. (laughs) And now it's like... Wait a minute. We're going to have an entire season about one of these characters, or like this, this is a permanent thing that's that's going to continue going for as long as I continue watching. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm on. <laughs> it's a good time to be a nerd. It is. So going forward, mm-hmm. 
uh, talking DC. It's it's it's. Would you say it's like a a rebirth for nerds? Rebirth. This is why this is why he's in charge. I'm. And I am the king of transitions here. <laughs> okay, so rebirth, DC rebirth, DC rebirth. Holy, Holy crap! <laughs> um, All right. So now we're talking comic books. Mm-hmm. We're, we're let's step away from the uh, audio visual medium and just talk the the visual medium and what they're doing with this rebirth thing. Although when I'm reading these comics, I audibly make noises. <laughs> 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 yes, thank you. You get comics for the pictures. Uh, yes. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't either. What was I talking about? I have no idea. Okay. Re- DC Rebirth. Re- Rebirth. 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 So, okay. So DC's at it again with their, let's revamp our let's entire revamp entity. And just which, to preface this, this seems to be happening in the in the industry. Right. It's and not, on a it's yearly not just a DC thing. Right. I think DC got a lot of notoriety for it when they did the New 52 a couple years back where they took all of their titles back to issue number one. It was mismanaged, <coughs> poorly executed. But I understood why, right? Because yeah. you, you, you've got these characters that are in issue number 953. Mm-hmm. How do you get a new reader into that? Right. How do you bring somebody in at that point? Well, there's so much of it at that point. Like, there's super, so much like history Superman. to these characters. I, I consistently bought Superman, no matter what, through the 80s, the 90s, you know, into up until about 2006. Um Grad school was like the kryptonite for not buying Superman anymore. Um, <clears throat> but then you got, and then That's I tried to pick up. Well, <laughs> yes, don't go learn, kids. Um, you got to the point where I tried to pick a Superman comic book back up, probably in the in the late two thousand, the like that two thousand six to two thousand ten time frame. I tried to pick up a comic, and I remember reading through the story, going, "What the heck is going on here?" Like. This is so convoluted, and, I, and I'm trying to think of a specific storyline, but it just, I was too far off, and I was just totally lost. Was on. too continuity that you came to that issue with, the barrier to entry? Having collected through those decades, you yes, picked up Yes, I collected issue? through those decades, up until 2006, so I felt like, man, I've got like, you know, 20-some years of history here that I know, and then I come in just maybe a couple years later, and I'm like, well, hold on, why is this like this, Yeah, and why is it... I don't get it. It's not giant. I don't understand. It's not right. It doesn't fit. So when they decided to do the new 52 thing, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know. I, they were really close to getting the issue 1,000 for Action Comics, and I, I don't know. But what kind of helped that break was the Grounded storyline. Yeah. All through the Grounded storyline for Superman, I was just Which like... Which you and I lament on quite a bit. Oh, man. I was, at that point, I was like, nope, just end it. For Kill him. <laughs> Kill everybody. <laughs> for those destroy uh, the universe. For those just joining the podcast <clears throat> that haven't heard us talk about the grounded story, we're talking about a Superman story arc in which imagine a world in which the most <laughs> exciting Superman story <laughs> in a world <laughs> in, in where a world. Superman spends a year walking across America like some kind of and oh, this and is that some, some okay. kind of low speed Forrest Gump. <laughs> was that Straczynski that wrote that? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And the premise was that. Some random citizen called Superman out because he where wasn't there. Where were you? He he wasn't there to detect the cancer in her husband or father mm-hmm. or something. something like that, yeah. And this person had died, and she was mad at him. And she goes running up to him during a, a celebration or something, uh-huh. some public area, yeah. and yells at him, "You weren't there, and you're not a hero." And blah blah blah. 
And, and for the next 12 issues, Superman decided to just walk across America and then feeling Superman sorry for himself. And Superman gets all broody. And that's the, that's the heroes I don't like. That's, that was, I was back to Arrow. That's my problem with Arrow. That's my problem with uh, some other comic books is that I don't like my superheroes broody. I, yeah. I, I need them to be just like, and I don't want him to be like, oh, you weren't there to detect my husband's cancer. You're right. <laughs> I'm up and away. <laughs> you know, hey, I high five. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, Can't be everywhere. Hey, right. huh? I don't, but you've, mm, wait, pink. <laughs> <laughs> that that, email, that <laughs> initial conflict. That would have been outstanding. Starts to like pointing out the color of all the people's underwear. Oh, red and black. <laughs> So that initial conflict, that idea of heroes not doing more, or where were you where, when we needed you, is That's not in and of itself a bad thing. Oh, God, no. no. It's the great. The Civil when, War movie from Marvel was basically built on that premise. Right. right. There's nothing wrong with having these heroes reflect. But it sounds like the execution... Oh, it was awful, because well, it just, like, for... For and no I, reason that, that made him not want to be a superhero anymore. Well, and I'm that sure... That one moment. I'm sure on paper... This probably seemed like an interesting story and a way to get new readers in. Because what was interesting was then he starts going through and like it would feature a different town. And I think he was like in Mount Prospect, Mount Illinois. Prospect Illinois. So they mentioned what? Mount Prospect. Right. So they mentioned Mount Prospect. And I remember reading that and being like, I never would have expected Mount Prospect, I went to Illinois. Comics which Revolution to get that issue. No. I'm like, you guys, are, is yeah. Comics Rev in this? Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, and they did that. Like he would walk through small towns or, or towns that are not well known to the nation as a whole. And I'm sure that when they wrote this down on paper, they were like, "We're going to get new people in because like we're doing it's local." A little bit like um, when Justice League did the covers. Remember they did the covers of every state's flag on Justice League number one. It was a couple of years ago during New Fifty Two. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of. I mean, it's a little gimmicky, but like maybe that was their thought on trying to get some more readers in was to say, "Hey, Superman's coming through your hometown." Yeah, possibly. Yeah, Could okay. be. Um, but, I, but in execution, not. Not much good. came out of that whole arc. No. The issue. And it, it was might, boring. It might have been the Mount Prospect issue, but the issue that I was that did the, like. Was that the abusive husband one? Yeah. Okay. And Superman. Because that's what Illinois is good for. <laughs> <laughs> no one abuses you like Illinois. Um, well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um no, like there was a kid that was being abused, or and yeah. Superman heard her sc- screaming or crying or something. Something like that, yeah. And went and saved the girl and brought her, you know, to the police. And yeah. the police were like, "Oh, we couldn't," you know, or something where the police indicated like they thought they knew, but they just didn't know, you know, and that's why they need Superman. And he was just like, "No, you guys need to be these heroes that 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 solve these problems every day." So I think that was supposed to be like maybe a turning point for him when he realized mm-hmm. that he doesn't have to bear the responsibility of saving everybody. Mm-hmm. Other people also need to step up and 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 be involved. I didn't read much past that because no. I mean it was a it was a glimmer of light in a very long series, a very six or seven months of mm-hmm. it was boring. How can Superman depress me this month? Was right? it essentially a superhero trying to shame? the rest of us for not stepping up? I don't think... I didn't get the sense of him shaming. I think it was a sense of him trying to remind people, like, I don't have to be the hero because I'm Superman. We can all be the hero. Mm -hmm. We need to accept that with whatever our role is and find a way to be the hero within the role we take on in society. Okay. I don't know how well executed that was. 
but the whole, the whole grounded storyline definitely led to the idea of doing, um, you know, just another revamp mm-hmm. of of uh, of all the titles. And one by one, the new Fifty Two titles fizzled out mm-hmm. to the point where they may have only had I don't know ten. Right. Still going. Well, it was hard because the editorial interference in all those books was just yeah. the stuff of infamy. Yeah. I mean, books were being canceled, creative teams were being shuffled left which and was, right. Which was too bad because before the New 52, you had the Blackest Night storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was incredible. That was good. Like, that was just a phenomenal story arc that bled through all of their titles and it did it so well. And in such a creative way that you didn't have to pick up all the titles to understand everything going on. Each in, each issue worked in and of itself. Each issue worked in and of the title that it was going through. And each issue also came together to work in the larger picture. Sure. So much thought must have gone into that. What happened to that thought process that we ended up having to do the new 52 that didn't quite take hold in the long run, the way they were hoping. So now we get to Rebirth. Well, see, before you get to Rebirth, real quick, New 52, when that started off, I was excited for that. Oh, absolutely. Like, I was ready to go. Tony I was like, and yeah, I were on board. Like, we were both <clears throat> collecting yeah. six or seven titles Well, the each. new, I mean, the new Batman and stuff. Batman, I thought, was phenomenal during, I mean, Batman's been phenomenal. Well, I mean, yeah, that was yeah, Snyder and Capullo's run, which the, was right, just the of The Court of Owls storyline was yeah. outstanding, which I love that they're bringing that into Gotham. Mm-hmm. Superman, though. In the New 52, when that started off, and I remember the first, seeing those first pictures of what Superman was, it was the jeans and t-shirt Superman that couldn't mm-hmm. fly. He oh, could just Morrison's leave. Action Comics. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I was excited for that. I was like, yes, I, something different. He's actually going to have to struggle. He's more, they kept talking about, well, he'll, he'll be more, he'll be a little more rough around the edges. You know, it's a little bit more, he's, he's there to defend the little guy. You know, more of like the, the 1930s stuff when they first created him. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm on board. I would love to see a Superman that is not quite Superman developed his powers yet. And he's still, you know, he's, it's a lot more street action. It would be a lot more like maybe what Grounded could have been if it was more interesting. But that's what I wanted. And I was like, I'm ready. I want to do jeans and T-shirt Superman. I'm all for this. Let's go. And as much as I've liked Grant Morrison's other stuff, I hated Hated the first year and a half of New Fifty Two. Well, I, I don't even think I went that, that long with couldn't it. Couldn't stand it. Where it was, did it fall short in your opinion? The convoluted storytelling. Yeah, it was that whole thing where it was like Mister Mixes Pitlick and the whole, you know, there's oh, like it, it turned out that a year was it a year and a half later or something like that. That that's what when these different things had been showing up to oppose Superman, like in the past, in the present, in the future, and and then and I think he he referred to it at one point in time as like fifth dimensional storytelling that like he was doing some of this here some of this here some of this here and when you saw it all together it fit together well I read it in the single issues going along and there were several times that I just kind of felt like I think I feel like you're just writing this for a graphic novel and that I will only understand this as I read this as a graphic novel but as a monthly purchaser of your comic book I'm upset like this doesn't it's so convoluted it doesn't make sense to me I hate it and there were times where, there were times where you would read something in one, in one issue, and I'm like, did I miss something? <laughs> like I bought one, two, three, four. I, I, I remember, but I have all of those. I remember those. having those thoughts too. Yeah, like, I'm like, I've, I feel I've, like I've missed something. But then what would happen is you would get that explanation, but like in issue number eight, and I was like, well, wait a minute, I, I don't think I should feel lost 
Like it wasn't, it almost wasn't foreshadowing. It was like, hey, you should know what's going on here. Well, I don't because you haven't even like hinted at why this is the way it is. And then all of a sudden, issue number eight, they're like, hey, this is why it was the way it was. Yeah. Not only no. are you not incentivizing me to buy mm-hmm. the next issue, right. but you're not going to give me the missing pieces until you know the last issue right. of the storyline. Right. It just to me, it was the whole. I'm going to tell you know it's a non sequential storytelling, fifth dimensional story. No, I'm not a fan. And it's a shame because I loved when he rebooted um, Justice League uh, back in the '90s. Yeah, with, uh, and it was uh, Howard, the, back Howard to the Porter. Porter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved that. Absolutely loved that whole you know opening run on that one, but get to this one, I'm just like, this is, nope, I'm done, I'm out. And so I think I stopped buying action for a while. And then finally when I heard that they were, you know, when the New 52 had kind of gone a little bit further, I was like, well, okay, I'll I'll give it a try again. I'll see how things are going. And then that was around about the time that Superman lost his powers and he was back into the, like, the jeans and the T-shirt, but it was like the black, the black S and he was in some kind of, like, underground fight club. And uh, it, 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 it was at that point where, did you read any of those? It's where he had yeah. lost his powers, and he had taken his cape, and he, he wasn't invulnerable anymore. And that was around the time when they had outed him as Clark Kent. Okay. And so he didn't have his powers. It was after he had developed the super burst, or the solar flare power, where he could explode. Did you read those? <laughs> See, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't even think I made it at that point. <laughs> he developed a new power. That was their gimmick for bringing more people in, was it was an extension of his heat vision. That if he got just so overloaded, he could just, like... Supernova. Supernova. And, but the problem was, for 24 hours, that would leave him powerless. So they started this as a thing that's like, he needed to use this power to stop this one villain. Well, then for 24 hours, he's normal Clark Kent again. And it was like, oh, okay, well, he'll just he'll use this every once in a while for a big thing. But then it started being like, oh, no, there's another guy coming. Mm, boom! <laughs> it's like, okay, now we're starting to overuse this a little bit. And then at one point, and I kind of got a little lost because I didn't buy all the issues, he lost his powers entirely. They got taken away. And so what he did was um, he, and he was outed as, you know, Clark Kent being Superman. And so what he did was he took his cape, which was the only invulnerable part left, and he wrapped it around his fists, and so he would just beat people up that way. He got a buzz cut. He had his capes wrapped around his fists. And there was one issue where he hops on a motorcycle, and he's like, I'm I'm leaving Metropolis. I'm out of here. And it was something like... Some biker guy was was hurting somebody else, and he stepped in, and they got into a fight and, like, punched the guy. And he, they, I think it was the end of the issue, he jumps on a motorcycle, and he and in his, like, thought bubbles, it says, I'm Superman. Hell yeah. And then he rides off on the motorcycle, oh, and I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> that, that's no! almost as bad as Frank Miller in uh, that short-lived Absolute Batman that he did oh, the with Jim all, Lee. the All-Star. Or Batman All-Star Batman. Batman. Yeah, he's All-Star. I'm the- Batman. <laughs> we'll talk about that here in a minute. <laughs> I have opinions on that one too, but it was. I, and I, I, I know that different people have different Supermans, and for some people, they love the 1940s. They love the 1960s. They love when Clark Kent was a TV reporter. They that that's their Superman. My Superman doesn't hop on a motorcycle after he punched somebody and go, "Hell yeah, I'm Superman." Yeah. No. No, 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 no. So when it got to that point, I'm like, nope. <laughs> Time for a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a crisis. Which, instead, you know, I mean, that is how DC handled a lot mm-hmm. of their restructuring. Is, yeah. uh, let's have a crisis. So when they uh, said... Let's have a crisis. Right. So when they said rebirth, and I was like... Mm, well, I mean, okay. At, <laughs> and at that point, you had to take it 
with with a lot of caution. Yeah, because we just had the new fifty two. The new fifty two had just normally you know, normally our crisis, really had just started. Normally our crises are like twenty years apart. Yeah, or at least yeah, they're ten years apart. Right. And so you know you start hearing you know yeah we're we're doing this rebirth and like why <laughs> what right really well, and then what made you're, me upset you're trying, about you're that, trying to bury your your corporation at this point what made me upset about that was when they were doing the rebirth thing because it got into the point where issues of New Fifty Two Action Comics were like they were what three ninety nine four ninety nine per issue yeah and I was like I. I yeah, whatever, whatever they were, draw the line at, at two ninety nine or whatever right. that was. I went back and looked at some old comics and like, draw the line. Yeah, lies, right. <laughs> liar. Um, but I remember like an, an issue of Action Comics was three ninety nine. Okay, and I was like, it's just. I mean, I don't like it. Well, it's not. It's not, a, it's worth. not economical. No, I'm like, Especially it's, it's not worth co- it. And I'm collecting, and I'm collecting s- six or seven right. different I titles a month. I can't pay that much. Yeah, you're getting per month for my out. comic books. So then when the rebirth stuff comes up, they're like, hey. Rebirth, and you are going to get the comics you love twice a month, and they are going to be two ninety nine. And I'm looking at that going, and I had a couple of friends that are like, oh, they lowered the price. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, back up now for a second. <laughs> they lowered the price by a dollar. To where it was when they promised to keep it at a dollar, right. or keep it at two ninety nine. But now you're going to pay that twice a month. They're like, no, but it's cheaper. And I'm like, well, think about it now. Nah, right. You were paying $4 a month for Action Comics. You are now going to pay... Six dollars a month for Action Comics. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. that's not good. <laughs> so I mean, and I think I may have told you that at the outset of this whole rebirth thing. I'm like, you know what? I I'm excited to see what they do with it, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm going to buy them because I just can't. I can't rationalize the cost yeah. of this whole thing. I, and I think I remember telling you, I'm like, if they do Superman right, if it's a Superman that I can latch onto and read and then I will drop other comics from my list to purchase Superman and action comics even at a slightly higher price. Mm-hmm. Like I will drop something else from I my think list if they do it right. And so yeah. far so far so good. So knock on every <laughs> piece of wood all the wood here. But I think what got me uh, at least on board initially was that spectacular 80 page Rebirth oh, special that was awesome. issue from Jeff Johns, yeah. and leading up to its release, uh, he was kind of doing some promotional talking. And hold on, just a second. I just want to point out what you're hearing is the explanation from a lifelong hardcore Marvel collector, yes. who's about to explain to us why he is no longer collecting Marvel titles and is going all in with DC Comics. Yes, go. Yes, so. <laughs> In his promotional uh, run-up to the release of the special, uh, Jeff Johns had said something to the effect of he wanted to name this whole initiative Rebirth to pay homage to uh, his two uh, miniseries, Flash Rebirth and Green Lantern Rebirth, which he did deliberately to pay homage to what came before while reinvigorating the characters for new readers. And so kind of like getting into his head and understanding what the tone of the Rebirth universe should be, I was like, well, all right. I liked both of those books. Let's go. Let's, you know, show me what you got. And wow. I mean, that that Rebirth spe- uh, special issue, that did it for me. After that, yeah. you know, it, it was I was buying the Rebirth issues, which were the uh, prequels to the relaunched titles. Okay. 
and then just one after another. You, you know, they've maintained that fine balance of entertainment, heroes with a capital H mm-hmm. in the truest sense of the word, right. and accessibility more than anything. It was Tony that got me back into comics with this rebirth thing. No, Seriously? <laughs> because you start... So, no, I mean, so I've known Tony for over 20 years. Yeah. Uh, ever since I've known him, he's, he's a Marvel guy. To hear him talk so strongly about the, the, the 80-page rebirth issue that Jeff Johns did really got me like, okay, if, if, if Tony's so on board with this, that's, I've, I've tried to get him on board with DC for a long time. And he would check out some things here and there, but other than Batman, he wouldn't go too far with it. So to hear him talk about this rebirth issue as strongly as he did, I was like, there's got to be something to this. Yeah. So then I, I bought it and downloaded it and, and, and read through it and just, my God, the heart mm-hmm. that went into yeah. these characters. Well, that, that, had that been, first image of Wally West just, boom, right yeah, on the screen. Like, <gasps> like, He's back. <laughs> and that's what you get was missing from the New yeah. 52. It was the heart and and, and the, the care and the compassion well, in all these characters. And even before Rebirth, when they started the when they started that, what was supposed to be a limited series at first, of Lois and Clark. Mm-hmm. And it was the Lois and Clark from the original, like the, the I don't know what you want to call it, post-crisis, pre-New 52, Superman and Lois Lane. And they've got a son with them. Like, they start that series off. And, and I remember hearing about that for the first time. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You're saying my Superman. Like, my Superman, the one who, like, Doomsday killed him and did a, a Zero Hour and all that other stuff, that my <laughs> Superman is back? He's still here. Where? Yes. <laughs> How much is this comic? And strike that, I don't care. Um, where can I get it? And so I remember picking up the first issue of that, and I was like, why can't this be the Superman comic book? Like, I don't like the new 52 Superman anymore. He's not a Superman that I don't right. think he's a hero. Right, he's become more of an anti-hero to me, just the, like the way he handles things and his whole attitude. It's almost more like watching, almost more like reading an issue of The Punisher, but instead of a skull, he's got an ass on his chest. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't want that. I don't care. I, the whole him being in a relationship with Wonder Woman... Not a fan. Didn't like it. I mean, I thought it was interesting at first, but I'm like, okay, let's. Which let's, comes up in this new run of Superman, <clears throat> right? Yeah. Like, let's let's get him back with Lois because that's where he's supposed to be. It was a, it was a good moment, mm-hmm. a good recall to to the history of all the storylines. So yeah. I I enjoy that when they're all sitting around the table and eventually, you know, she's just like, "You don't have anything to worry about. Right. <laughs> it's not this. It, he's not the same Clark. He's not he's my not Clark. This, yeah. He's not my Superman. Yeah." But when that series started, the Lois and Clark one, I was I was just like, why can't this be? Like this needs to be. And now it the is Superman series. Well, and then I heard, and then it, before I even heard about Rebirth, I heard somewhere maybe it was the the comic shop that I go to, the guy said, oh yeah, did you hear that that issue number eight is the last Lois and Clark? I'm like, no, 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 no. And he's like, no, 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 it's okay. When they do this Rebirth thing, that's gonna be Superman. I'm like, mm. I take out my empty wallet and I throw it at another person. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so then that was that was what got me okay with the whole re- rebirth thing. Because mm-hmm. at first I was like, oh man, another crisis, another event. All right, I'll, I'm sure I'll read it, but I'm not going to pick up all the issues. And I'm always usually at least willing to try <clears throat> the first mm-hmm. couple issues after a some sort of event yeah. just to see what they're doing with it. Um, I was more eager to do it when Tony was talking about yeah. uh, rebirth. And then when I started uh, picking up a, a couple of the titles and reading through... The consistency with which yes. the yeah. the heart and compassion flows through mm-hmm. is what's really getting 
it, 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 it's there. You can, you can almost point to it in, in each issue. Yeah. Right here, this moment. Yes. You know, when Clark is telling his son, we don't behave that way. Mm-hmm. We may want to behave that way, but we don't. We need to be bigger and better than that. And Those moments you're just like, yes. And are they doing Absolutely. that? So here's a question that I've had. Are they doing that where you've brought, they brought back Damien, Wayne, so that's, he's Robin. And so are they doing that because they've realized, maybe they tried the New 52 to get more kids into comics? But now it seems like we've shifted back the other way, where Superman's a dad, and Batman's a dad, and they know that their so they know that their audience I, I, is yeah. the 30, 40 year old. Yeah, I think is it's us. a fantastic way of so, finding that balance between. Right. You know, I'm just tipping are, the hat to us as right. older readers, but then, our kids interested. In but the story, a lot so that's what I kind of allow, about allowing our generation to introduce it to their kids. Right. Yeah. You know that that could be. A, I don't even know if they're thinking that. Right. But well, I mean, if they're if, they're getting us back into it. Right. If, and the stories are safe. If Jim Lee and Dan DiDio so and Jeff sto- Johns are the, listening. The stories, we can hand these over to the next generation of kids exactly. and say, you can read this. I would hand these. I know, and some of them I know are still rated T for Teen and all that other stuff. I would be much more willing to take the Superman comics now and hand that to my son and let him read it than I was towards the end of the New 52 when it was the hell yeah, I'm Superman kind of Superman. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not handing him that. And I, in fact, I kept those away from him. He was like, oh, that looks like a cool cover. I'm like, nope, no, no, not for you. Rated T for team. <laughs> Here, uh, read this Playboy stuff. <laughs> yes, there you go. <laughs> this is a theme I think um, we should definitely put a pin in and maybe kind of revisit over the rest of this talk because, mm-hmm. you know, as it applies, especially as it applies to Dark Knight dark Returns, <laughs> we've got this sense of DC Comics moving through dark phases, mm-hmm. jaded phases, and reflecting that kind of apathy in a lot of their books. Yeah. And... To me, at any rate, Rebirth kind of feels like they are finally moving away from the Dark Ages mm-hmm. and kind of it stepping out into the light. And I think it's to great effect. I yeah. mean, for the last couple of months now, they've been out selling Marvel consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which they started at the at the beginning of the New Fifty Two. I mean, that, I think that was the first time in decades yeah. that they outsold yeah. Marvel at all. And then they realized that as some of those New Fifty Two stories took a darker turn, that that tapered off mm-hmm. a little bit, and they all of a sudden were not. Out selling Marvel anymore, um, yeah. I, and, and I think the announcement from the you know, back to the movies for a second. The announcement that they've already said, oh no, our Justice League is going to be a much more lighthearted, not not necessarily like lighthearted, but it's going to be more lighthearted. I mean, what else could it be than Batman versus Superman? So it's it's going to be well a lighter take on things, and, and now, there's going to be more joy in it and comedy. And, Jeff Johns is in the position of the. Show showrunner for yeah, the movies, basically, yeah. Where uh, Zack Snyder had helmed that yeah. with the start of Man of Steel, yeah. Now Jeff Johns is coming in, and sort of being like, "Let's reshape what we're doing." Yeah. So I'm optimistic for the DC movies going right. forward because you just have someone that you know understands the history of the characters, mm-hmm. um, understands storytelling in a way that you know Zack Snyder. Made pretty pictures, mm-hmm. and I'm. It would, His the cinematography is beautiful. I thought he did a great job with Three Hundred. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great well, film sure, adaptation. Sure, because he basically cribbed Frank Miller's right. like <laughs> entire graphic novel. It's, right. it's so, shot for shot. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, great but I remember words. much like much like the Logan trailer, and this is why I hesitate to say this just watching a trailer. Much like the Logan trailer, when I saw that first Man of Steel trailer, I thought this Superman movie could win an Oscar. It looks beautiful. 
Like I'm looking at the scenes they put together for that first mm-hmm. trailer, and I was like, "This is amazing! Like and this is going to be the one of the best. This is going to blow everything else away." And then you get to the and then I got to the story. movie theater, and apparently I'm the only one who thought that it still blew everything else away. But <laughs> everybody else was like, "Ah, oh, it's." I liked it. I like yeah. Man of Steel. My oh, know, yeah. my biggest issue was that just that fight sequence at the end went on longer than it needed to. Mm-hmm. But I thought that it was a great introduction to uh, to Clark, a great introduction to the persona of Superman, the struggle that he had coming to grips with his powers, and the fact that it pushed him into a life of seclusion right. because he didn't know how to be both yeah. Clark and Superman. Mm-hmm. So it was, he was better stepping away from his family to the point where, because you get that flashback, where he watched his dad get killed mm-hmm. in a tornado. Right. Because his dad knew it's more important for you to keep this to yourself. Which this is not a Man of Steel podcast. But but I'm sorry, just get a replacement dog. <laughs> just it's a dog. I'm not one of those people that you know like I, animals love animals. But it's like if there's a tornado and a human's going to die or a dog's going to die. Sorry, Poochie. let's think about our priorities. <laughs> sorry, Poochie. Yeah. Let's <laughs> we'll get you a new dog, Clark. I don't think Man of Steel. We don't have to apologize for it. I think no. Way I, too many I love Man do. of Steel. Yeah. Batman vs. Superman we have to apologize well, for. Yeah. You know what? And I still have not watched the extended cut. I bought it You're the day it came anything. out on Blu-ray. Really? Okay. Yeah. Did you watch the extended cut? I haven't seen it yeah. yet either. Because I just haven't like I haven't gotten to a point where I'm like, yeah, I got three hours to sit down and just watch. The, the footage primarily, the added footage primarily concerns... Is it more fighting? Or? No, no. Okay. Deeper investigation into um, the bullets used uh, in the... It's Clark attack. going through a series okay. of safe words until he gets to Martha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Apple! And then a... Um, Tree! A reveal Jason at, Todd. Oh, sorry. <laughs> a, a reveal at the end where you see uh, Lex... Uh, can, can we do spoilers? Yeah. yeah okay. Spoilers! <laughs> you see Lex uh, conferring with kind of like a 3D hologram of Steppenwolf mm-hmm. okay. setting up the arrival What's of the dark side of okay. apocalypse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I just, and I, I bought it the day it came out on Blu-ray, and I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to watch this. And what is that, like three months ago? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I just haven't had three hours to sit down and just yeah. absolutely Of that movie, though, it. I think we can all at least agree that Wonder Woman was by far the best part. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, because you, you had the rest of this movie, and I think we had people sitting in the theater, and I remember sitting in the theater, and you had the whole Batman and Superman piece of it, and, and I was sitting there going, okay, I'm, I'm waiting. I, I want this to be good. I'm not sure if it's good. I don't know if it's good. And then you get to the end fight, and all of a sudden, Wonder Woman leaps out and puts her shield in yeah. right in front of the Doomsday Blast. And the and people in the theater were just like, <gasps> yeah! they like start cheering and clapping. And I'm like, okay, well now this is good. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. All well, right, we did um, we did two parts on. Didn't we do two parts on? I think we did a Batman vs. Superman. Superman thing. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think rehash that one. Well, and I, I think most of our like part one was. Did we like it? <laughs> we liked it, but we, we don't know we why. Like, we like. We like. I think we. There were things it. we liked. What you like? I what did you what like? The, I don't know I, what they are. It was that one part with the no. No, that was it. But we. But I liked it. But it was the, no, no. That was some uh, more. Yeah, there's a whole uh, hour of us sitting and <laughs> doing that. Well, and then, when and then Civil, we talked about grounded during that. Right, we did. <laughs> yeah, I guess too. <laughs> well, then and then when Civil War came out, was it like a month or two later? Um, Civil War came out, and we all just sat around. And we're like, "Oh, I love this, and I love this, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. this is the best yeah. Batman versus Superman movie ever." It's just a shame that Batman and Superman aren't in it, right? <laughs> yeah, the whole fight amounts to what, like 
10 to 15 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, and getting into The Dark Knight. We'll which is why, we, why we're here and why we which is why started we're recording four hour, hours ago. Oh. An hour and a half later, we're going to start talking about The Dark Knight. Um, probably releases as a two-parter. We could, well, we could do that. There are crazy people out there that listen to, like, three-hour-long podcasts. I don't drive that much. You don't drive that much? No. Okay. I'm going to have to... We can, we can For my this. sake, please we can, do. We can do this as a two-parter. A two-parter. <laughs> All right, part two. <clears throat> there we go. Um, the Dark Knight Returns. But I think, uh, transitioning into that... Holy the, crap! Was, we're not there yet. Oh, man. Shot off the holy crap too early. <laughs> well, um, it happens. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> um, I think what I liked about when I saw Civil War and what I thought it did that I wanted Batman versus Superman to do was the philosophical debate. Yeah. Was the Batman versus Superman to me, and that was kind of the arguments that people would have going into it. You know, and it's been with Civil War too. Oh, I'm I'm Team Iron Man. I'm Team Cap. I'm the To me, you were one or the other because you're like, well, this is how Captain America views the world. And this is how Iron Man views the world. And that was the argument in Civil War, and I think they did it pretty well was those two different views of the world. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're going into Batman versus Superman before Civil War came out, and that's what I wanted to see, was I wanted to see, I'm a, because, I mean, we've had these debates for decades. I'm a Superman fan because I'm optimistic, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I like the big blue Boy Scout, and then people are Batman fans. They're like, well, no, the world is a dark and gritty place, and that's, that's, why, I, that's why I like Batman. And, <laughs> I, and But, I mean, you'd have these debates with other nerds in comic book stores before we were allowed to go out in public, and that's what I wanted Batman Superman to be, was that debate of this is how Superman views the world, and this is how Batman views the world, which I think they've done pretty well in the comics at sure. different times. It's like, yeah. this, is, this is why. The movie do. never got past that surface metaphor of no. Martha. Right. You know, it, it amounted to Martha, wait, what? Right. But, you know, it needed to take it to that next step in, well, mm-hmm. what does. Martha represent to Superman. What right. does Martha what, represent to Batman? What's, what's right. the metaphor behind it? Yeah. Right. And because it, they are it, each it, perceiving that it was never It was never explored. Which, I mean, when you get to, and obviously we're going to talk about this, when you get to the end of this comic, The Dark Knight Returns, I think you have a decent, I think you have a decent representation of their two viewpoints. Because I get to the end of this comic, and we'll talk more about it when we get to that point here in a second, but I get to the end of this comic, and... I don't see either one of them as being the villain. Superman has purely, I mean, he, he definitely has good reasons for why he is opposing Batman at this point. Batman obviously has good reasons for why he's still just going to keep doing what he's doing because he believes he's right. But it's the two people believing that they are absolutely right and for good reason. Yeah. So I get to the end of this comic and I think, okay, that, they did it well in Dark Knight Returns. And if Dark Knight Returns was supposed to be the starting point for Batman versus Superman the movie, then they somehow missed that. They didn't get to that point where you could have that debate between the two different sides. And still then agree to disagree. Right. Right. Ultimately in the end. All right. Should we now an hour and a half into our whole thing here? Should we start talking Dark Knight Returns? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. So this one is uh, Dark Knight Returns. Got to stretch stretch a little bit. (laughs) Dark Knight Returns. This one came out uh, between February and June 1986 as a four-issue miniseries. Uh, writer and penciler were Frank Miller, uh, among many other things. He did Daredevil, Sin City, Wolverine, Ronin, and 300. The inker on this one was Klaus Janssen. He did Batman and Daredevil. He's just a tracer, man. Now, hold on now. He's just a tracer. <laughs> Them's fighting words. Um, I want to talk to the guy that writes Blunt Man and Chronic. <laughs> 
Colors by Lynn Varley. She did Ronin and 300. Um, editor Dick Giordano was Action Comics, Batman, Detective, and Wonder Woman. Uh, Dennis O'Neill was another editor. Did Batman, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Iron Man, and Daredevil. Some prominent characters in the story include Batman, James Gordon, Carrie Kelly, the new Robin, uh, the Joker, a very creepy Joker. I, lo- I, I like the Joker in this one, but he does definitely give me, I think, a little more heebie-jeebies than yeah. most other Jokers do. Um, Superman, Harvey Dent, uh, Alfred Pennyworth, the mutant leader, Dr. Bartholomew Wolper, uh, Ellen Yandel, Oliver Queen, and Selina Kyle. So the kind of premise for this one is uh, Bruce Wayne is about 55 years old and retired from the superhero gig for about 10 years following the death of Jason Todd, Robin number two. Uh, crime in the city has reached a breaking point, and Batman must come out of retirement to stop a not-quite-rehabilitated Harvey Dent, a violent gang known as the Mutants, and ultimately the Joker himself. Um, so a quick little bit of uh, background on this one. Um, other sequels, prequels, and companions have been published over the years. You have The Dark Knight Strikes Again, and I have not read... Have you guys read any of the the sequels to it? Red Strikes Again. Okay. Uh, did not care for the uh, production value of it. Okay. Uh, he was experimenting, I, I think, with a lot of digital media. Okay. And it, it, it shows. Artistically, um, it was yeah, too different. He makes a good... He makes a compelling argument. Um, in Dark Knight Returns, you start to see this animosity toward media mm-hmm. in general. And he kind of expands on that in Strikes uh, Strikes Back. Okay. With that, uh, just this notion of media kind of distorting facts and stories to serve uh, agendas. All right. Yeah. And, you know, it, the book kind of proves that Batman is capable of you know, essentially cutting through the BS and mm-hmm. striking to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, apparently, though, the third series, uh, The Master Race... I've heard good things about that one. Yeah, I everybody seems I really up, pleased. But, okay. Yeah, so some of the sequels have been The Dark Knight Strikes Again, um, was in 2001. The Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, came out in 2015. Um, Dark Knight Returns, The Last Crusade, was a one-shot prequel that I, I guess came out this year. I hadn't heard of that. I think I heard of that one in passing, but haven't picked it up. Um, there was a Spawn Batman crossover that apparently was supposed to have some kind of tie-in back in 1994. Hmm. And it was supposed to have some kind of a tie-in. I think I own that, but I don't know that I recall <laughs> how that ties into The Dark Knight Returns. But that's what I read on a website, that it, somehow it ties in. Well, if it's on the internet, it's true. Right. You know, Abraham Lincoln told us that. <laughs> um, and Frank Miller has stated, which I, I absolutely believed this, just based on the way he behaved, in this comic, before Frank Miller ever said that this was could be considered a prequel, that uh, his limited series All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder could be considered a prequel to the original story because that Batman definitely looks like he would grow up to become this Batman. This Batman. Um, the comic story was inspired by Frank Miller's thoughts on his own aging as well as the Dirty Harry movie Sudden Impact in which the character returns to fighting crime after a prolonged absence. Um, single issues at the time cost two ninety five, which was expensive for a comic in eighty six. After we just got done talking about how we're not very not drawing the line very well, right? At two ninety nine. Um, well, they drew the line at two ninety nine, but the tra- but the tracers went over at an ink, and it was, right. <laughs> it was totally gone. They drew it very lightly, <laughs> right? Don't press down very hard. <clears throat> um, IGN Comics has ranked The Dark Knight Returns as one of the 25 greatest Batman graphic novels of all time, and Time Magazine has called it one of the 10 best English-language graphic novels ever written. So, 
Do you want? I got, I got a couple of questions. I know I shared the document with you guys with some questions in here. Do you want to just kind of talk about initial reactions to this first time you read it? And then we can get into some of the other questions. But yeah, we can when do you that. when you read this the first time, I guess how recently did you read this for the first time? Um, uh, was, 10 it, was it this was it morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first time you read it though, was it like uh, years ago? Was it? Did you read it like in the eighties when it came out? For or? me, I, I think it was eighty eight, eighty nine. Okay. So I was about nine or ten years old and got my hands on one of those uh, graphic novel mm-hmm. novel compilations. And the interesting thing about this book is every every time you read it, every year you read it, you get you pull more context out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the experience I had as a kid is not the same experience I'm having now as an adult, and that speaks to the literacy of the book, mm-hmm. you know, that he's able to put so much nuance into, you know, four prestige volumes. I, I first read this, I think I was in college. So it would have been early aughts. Okay. And I haven't touched it since um, I just finished rereading it this past week. And... Um, you know, I, th- I think now, being older reading it, I'm definitely, definitely cluing in on the commenta- the social commentary, mm-hmm. yeah. especially about the media and, uh, <clears throat> and gender roles. You know, I, I, it's, it almost slaps you in the face mm-hmm. with just how blatant he is when, you know, it start, you start getting into how quickly the, the, the news professionals are... Stopping people where they're talking and saying, okay, that's enough That's enough of a soundbite for us. Let's move mm-hmm. on to this next thing. Or oh, the, hey, thanks for trying to elaborate, but we're going to go on. Let's hear about the weather. Or the comments they make about Lana Lang, the editor of The Daily Planet, every time she tries to say something. And <laughs> well, and that was, that's the first. That's, that's where it slaps you in the face. That, that's that's the first one, or first one that I picked up on because you hear uh, from the doctor and this long, elaborate explanation about God only knows what. Then you go to the, the guy that works with the president, another long elaboration on whatever his question was. And then you get to Lana, who's actually referring uh, to the question, and uh, and the news anchor stops her. I don't believe you're actually answering the question I asked. And you're like, well, A, she is, and B, you know, that's where Frank Miller's really showing the, uh, you know, how women are treated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, women in, in media, really, Kind of, because you also have that female news anchor that seems to just be able right. to pull strings and, and, and play puppet master as well. But in terms of a female's contribution uh, into a field where maybe there aren't a lot of women contributing, he's really showing that difference by how, uh, how men are just allowed to pontificate to the sound of their own voice without having much content. And then when you know the when the little lady decides she wants to contribute, oh, we got to cut. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, I don't think you're really doing commercial that. commercial break. And he you know refers to as dear and as opposed mm-hmm. to her name. You know, so Miller's really drawing that out there and really putting that out there as this is how it is. This is how it's going. I don't really yeah. think I picked up on it too much the, my first time through. Okay, I think I read this the first time maybe in either middle school or high school, so it would have been early to mid '90s, and. I had seen it before, like I had seen pictures of it before, I had seen it in the comic shop as a graphic novel, and 
I thought, okay, well, this is kind of cool. I like the, I always liked the what if comics from Marvel, and I always yeah. liked the Elseworlds stuff from DC. I'm like, just the alternate, uh, that's probably why I like time travel stuff too, was like the alternate reality take on things. Like, that, I loved Elseworlds. That year that they did, it was like 93 or 94, all of DC's annuals for every comic that they had was an Elseworlds story. And I'm like, hmm. whoa, okay, Tarzan Superman? Yes. <laughs> American Revolution Superman? Yes. Batman as a, you know, what were some of the ones, I forget some of the ones he did. Oh, one of them was um, that uh, multiple Kryptonians came to Earth, and they actually ended up taking over the Earth. And so Batman was like the leader of a resistance against the Kryptonians that were running Earth. And, but they had the, all these different Elseworlds-type stories. And so I think anytime I saw something that was, you take the characters you've got and do a slightly different take on them. Like I, I'm all in. Like yes, I will. I'll go read this. And so somebody had told me about it, and I was like, "What is this Dark Knight Returns? I haven't. You know, I keep seeing it, but I don't know what it is." And, and somebody told me, "They're like, oh, it's just it's really cool. It's this uh, Batman's old, and he beats the crap out of Superman at the end." And I'm like, well, I don't know if I like the fact that he beats the crap out of Superman at the end, but see those two guys fight? Sure, I'll take a look. And so then I think it was probably middle school, high school, and I went and, and picked it up. And like you said, I didn't pick up on most of the, you know, I maybe got a little bit of little bit of the social commentary stuff yeah. at the time, and um, didn't pick up on any of the other social stuff. Um, mainly enjoyed it for the the take on seeing how when Batman went underground, like all of his villains also kind of like went to sleep, and they're like, oh, okay, Batman's not here anymore, so we don't need to. I'm not gonna do my thing, and Joker just kind of goes into a coma, and you know he's gone. And and the interesting part of it was to me as a kid reading it was like, where did all the superheroes go? Like, why are we in a world where they've all disappeared? Like, they don't really say too much about it. They do hint here and there about how the public maybe there was some kind of a backlash against the vigilantes, the heroes, and so they've all had to stop doing what they're doing. And then you see, like, the old version of Catwoman. I'm like, well, that's depressing. And then you see the old version of Oliver Queen. It's like, well, that's kind of sad. And you just you start seeing these older versions. I think that around about the time that I read this was around about the time that they did Kingdom Come. And so then you had two very different takes on these older yeah. characters. Oh, absolutely. And I think if I'm comparing the two, I think I, I prefer Kingdom Come over the older take on the characters in this one. Because in this one, everybody's just kind of sad. Like it's right. well, it came no one they, has no one has come out on this the the other side. Come, they had hope and right. they, they had qualities that they needed to instill right. into the in, into their counterparts. Right. Where this one, you're just like, wow, everyone's just sort of given up it's, and it's letting. Bleak. The, the bleak <laughs> thing about Dark Knight Returns is that you, you know um, Kingdom Come, uh, you've got the heroes and the villains. You know, absolute order, absolute mm-hmm. chaos. Right. And Kingdom Come kind of extrapolates this world where the you know two ends of the spectrum, order and chaos, have just overpopulated. It's yeah. gone viral. Yeah, you know humanity is snubbed out. Yeah, the bleak thing about Dark Knight Returns is that society is really kind of the great antagonist here. You know, uh, society does not necessarily want heroes or villains. It is perfectly happy. With things being stagnant, destroying itself, right where it is, yeah, like <laughs> it is a world of men and talking heads with politics and agendas yeah. that do not have time for Batman's moral superiority yeah. and would just as well, you know, uh, shackle Superman to the yoke and say, "No, you'll do what we tell you." 
And that's Thank goodness this is the comic book world, and this has no bearing on like present day Whatsoever. real world politics and oh, anything God, like that. Not at all. <laughs> so, what do you think of this book? I, let's let's get an initial kind of initial take on this. Like, do you do you like this story? Now it sounds like Tony, you're a, a big fan of this. Or well, I think at we least... need to qualify what we mean when we say, "Do we like this story?" Yeah. Well, what, what do you, you know, What do you like about it? I guess I, I think it was very interesting that when you were talking about your first impressions, uh, reading it in middle school, you were identifying with a lot of what any middle school cool kid mm-hmm. would, you know, be they're, drawn to. They're beating the crap out of each other. Batman beating <laughs> the crap out of Superman, right. or Ollie missing an arm. You know, right. we, we see those visuals that. You know, the else world, the, yeah. the what if, and we're like, oh, that's cool. What if this happened? What's the story behind that missing arm? Right. right. Yeah. What... Now, I mean, like, if we look at this graphic novel comprised of, you know, the four prestige formats, it's been brought up in criticism, and I, I think that it has some validity that there isn't necessarily much of a plot, per se. Yeah. You know, there's not so much like a smooth progression as much as it is vignettes into the life of right. this aging Batman. Um, that was a struggle for me as I read it. Mm-hmm. It was because I, I think I needed more continuity from page to page, or at least within yeah. a single page. Because out of is nowhere, it, within a page, you're in t- you're switching gears. You don't even realize until you're you know four or five panels through, and you're like, wait, well, and, what? And is this, and you have to go is back this and, better read as four individual issues? as opposed to a graphic novel. You could easily make that argument. Yeah. I, I also think it's um, very interesting that, you know, reading up on the history of this, uh, you know, in preparations for the talk here, um, there had been, a, what was it, a four-month delay in the release of issues three and four. Mm-hmm. And apparently during this time, Miller was reading advanced drafts of Alan Moore's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. which is very heavy into a world in which government and politics has right. won. And so you notice in uh, episode or issue four of Dark Knight Returns, it very much becomes a social commentary against government. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, as, as a story, as a narrative, mm, arguably no, not so much. But like you had said, if we were to look at each one of those issues as its own thing, mm-hmm. yeah, it holds up in a great way. I think, I think that's a pretty good assessment of it for sure. Um, I mean, you're trying to read this cover to cover does not work. It, it, was, it was a chore. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, if, if, if the goal is to pick it up and read through each book, and do each book cover to cover, that's a lot easier to to manage and comprehend and keep up with. But to, to try to pick it up and start on page one and, and get to page 199, looking at it as really all one thing just doesn't work because it's not yeah. all one thing. I mean, it's a, it's we've, a dense we've book. Been, we've been just inundated so for, yeah, with the last you know few months or so just playing Hamilton nonstop at our house. And I'm I'm trying to read through The Dark Knight Returns, and I get to a point where like there's too many panels for any man yeah. to understand. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm looking at I'm looking at a page right now. I would love to know what the word count 
of oh this book God. is. Well, well, he's working on a 16-panel page. Which is which is what... Um, I mean, the word remember, count in this book has to be And I don't remember if it's 16. Thousand. I think it might be 16. Walking Dead recently has gone to a 16-panel. Oh, really? Like, some of their pages are 16-panel pages. And they wanted to do that because they said, we wanted to fit more story into each issue. Yeah. And so we wanted to be able to do that. But at the same time, it also... I would find that when I'm reading Walking Dead, even though there's a lot of dialogue, there's a lot of you know, discussion going on, not always a lot of action, that I read through those issues really fast. Now that they've gone to the 16-panel thing, it almost kind of forces me to slow down as I'm looking at each panel individually. And I kind of feel like that was the same feeling that I got. Now, when Walking Dead, it was a lot easier because it's just one issue. And I'm you know, in... 20 minutes, half an hour, I'm done. Yeah. And I can put it aside. This one, it probably took me a good, just with other stuff going on, I think probably took me a week and a half to finish reading Dark Knight Returns. Just because it was so dense and it would get to the point, it's like other things, there's other things that I've read before where I'll read, you know, a few pages. I might not even get through an entire single issue and I'm just like, I need to put this down because I need to process some of what I've read. There's just so much in here. I can't do a lot in one sitting of this. And that was, you know, that to me, I was trying to go back and forth in my head of, does that make it a bad comic book experience if I can't just sit down and read through the whole thing and enjoy it? And I will say, and I think I told you this, Jeff, a couple times, like, it was a chore. It's not that I don't like The Dark Knight Returns. I like it. It's not one of my favorite Batman stories ever. I like it, but it's definitely a chore to read. It's Mm -hmm. not one that I'm like, hey, Let's pick up a Batman graphic novel, sit down and read it. I am not going for The Dark Knight Returns. You know what? Though, now, know, every few years, will I pick it up and be like, hey, let's take a look at this yeah. one again? Sure. But I, I think about the. It's not my go to. The lay of the industry now, where let's take like a typical Marvel comic is what, $3.99? Yeah. Some number one issues now are $4.99. Right. Maybe get 20 to 22 pages of story. Right. And you're finished with the issue in seven minutes. Right. So, you know, on some level, if a comic's going to force me to stop and read the words and appreciate the dialogue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and milk every second of entertainment out of it, I'm okay with that mm-hmm. on some level, you know? You know? I mean, it can't all be splash pages. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm, and that's what's going to happen. You know, people mm-hmm. are going to stop paying four bucks, three bucks an issue if, if we're just getting splash pages or, you know, right. four... Four to six panels per page. That's, and that's why note, for a while I... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Talking about 16-panel pages. Yeah. One of my favorite 16-panel pages ever comes out of Preacher. Okay. When the character of her star has been sliced uh, over his head, so he looks like a big phallic symbol, and he's just... Each panel, he's looking at his reflection in the mirror, <laughs> and finally you get to panel 16, and all he says is... Sh-. And on a side note to that, can we just uh, take a minute to acknowledge Steve Dillon's... Uh, Oh, yes. God, that's sad. Yeah. The industry lost an immense talent. Yeah. I, I had heard about it. What happened? Yeah, Steve, Steve oh, no, Dillon no, no, just I passed did. away. Yes, I did hear about that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was like two days ago? Yeah. A couple of days yeah, ago? Yeah, within, within the last day or two. Okay. Yeah, I saw that news pop up. I was like, oh. Yeah. Tragic loss. Uh, you were making a comment about um, splash pages, though. Yeah. And that kind of got me thinking about the larger context of... Batman at the time that Dark Knight came out. And we have to consider that before the release of this book, really anyone's exposure to Batman as a character was done largely through the Adam West TV mm-hmm. show, yeah. which 
in its own way, is kind of a story of splash pages. Yeah. You know, it, it wasn't a very dense, literate experience. Wow. Yeah. It had the big sound effects, uh-huh. and you know, it was a very simply told story and exposure to the characters. We so. just watched the Batman movie. With the kids, because it was just can't get rid of a bomb. Because it was on Netflix, so oh. I was like, and the kids were like, "Can we watch a movie?" I'm like, "Yeah, we can watch a movie. Let's see what's on." <gasps> Batman sixty six. I have done. something for you. It is so bad. It's and, great. Well, I know. And then and Nora, I mean, she said we're watching this, reach my and she said shark repellent. Why doesn't he just throw the bomb into the water? I'm like, well, because there's nuns and ducks, and, it, and you just can't. <laughs> Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. And they're watching. They get to the part, and I, Nora is, for some reason, she's afraid of sharks. We are in a totally <laughs> landlocked area, but she's de- deathly afraid of sharks. And it gets to the part, I'm like, is she going to be okay with this? And it, the shark, he comes up with the shark hanging on his leg, and he's beating on the shark, and she's sitting there going, uh, I I, make I this, think it's funny. I make that was my thought every time. I every time I, I turn that because I'll put that movie on like every I don't know every couple of years. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this just be a fun background movie to have oh, on. Yeah. And you just start, and it gets to that point where he's dangling from the helicopter right. and he's got a shark up his leg, and you're mm-hmm. just like, it's like trying okay. to assess your feelings on Batman versus Superman. I I, I think I like it. Right. I, I don't know why. Well, we, and the kids loved it. I mean, we we sat and there he, and watched and the rest he of the movie. Can, you, can you reach my bat shark repellent? Right. It's on my belt. You're just like, <laughs> of no, no, course, no, 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 of course the, you have it, and of Robin, course it is. Pass me the bat shark repellent, and then you get the scene of Robin going in, and he's opening up this thing, and there's bat shark repellent, there's bat octopus repellent, there's bat manta right, ray like, repellent. Awesome. I'm like, what do you? Have you ever, have you ever seen this? <laughs> Not in a while. No. Oh man. <laughs> We need to have a movie night. I was probably last time I saw it. I was probably young enough to really appreciate it. The, and, and this is one of those movies that you you turn on and you just want to have like a six pack of beer sitting next to you yes. and just yeah. forget about everything uh-huh. else and just enjoy the just enjoy the it. Ride. It takes the campiness enjoy from the, the TV show. Oh yeah, to a whole new level. <laughs> to the nth degree. They knew they were being campy, and they're just like whatever. And you get all you get the, you get the four villains coming mm-hmm. together too, which oh, is yeah. just a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm going to segue this back into the discussion of the. Would you please? Because yeah, we're going to be here put until yourselves, Tuesday. Put yourselves in the, you know, seat of a kid buying this book in 1986, and your last exposure to Batman was that. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine what a radical departure that would be it, and, I, I, it would blow my mind I mean here we've got Miller channeling it, the detective fiction of like Mickey Spillane it would like it would blow my mind if I if my history of Batman came out of the Adam West show and I picked up uh, book one of of the Dark Knight Returns and I tried to wrap my head my history of the character yeah. around that story I think I would have a you know almost have a breakdown trying to figure out what the hell just happened to Batman? There's one scene in there where um, Batman's me- you know, messing with a, a mutant or a, a thug or something like that. And he says something to the effect of, like, uh, there are three strikes that are, you know, three hits that'll kill you. I choose the one that's going to hurt. Yeah. And here, like, this Batman is pulling no punches. Yeah. Yeah. And as a kid, as an impressionable reader, you're just gobbling that up. You're like, yeah, tell me more. And see, well, and, and that's something that... I think it does that because it was a big event. Because I and I've I've heard you know that over the years people have said this is the Batman that has that redefined the modern Batman. It's what brought back the dark roots of the 1930s and 40s Batman. And after the Adam West stuff, this is what kind of brought it back to the grim and gritty dark Batman that we've kind of had from '86 on. And I think uh, that like you're saying, I think for a, a bigger, broader audience, that's probably true. 
Although I look back at that and I'm like, well, actually in the 70s, they were bringing it back to a pretty dark place with the Batman comics. Now, granted, at the time, I was not a kid that was reading those comics. I bought them. You weren't even I, a kid in the 70s. Well, I wasn't a kid in the 70s. You weren't anything in I the wasn't, 70s. I wasn't even a twinkle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, but but going back and buying some of those, you know, when I was, you know, reading them in like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, going back and buying some of the 70s stuff, and as I've heard people say, well, this is the Batman that redefined the dark, and this is what brought back the darkness to Batman. I'm like, well, in the 70s, they had Ra's al Ghul. Like, they introduced him as a character. In the 70s, they brought back, like, the homicidal maniac Joker, as opposed to the, oh, I'm just going to do goofy, weird things, like the the, you know, Adam West Joker and, and kind of the way he was in the comics in the 50s and 60s. And so I I tend to disagree when somebody says, you know, this is this is what brought back the darkness to Batman. I'm like, well, no, there were plenty of other writers and artists that were doing that from, like, the early 70s on. This just happened to be the big event that most people saw, and they were like, oh, this is a different Batman. But I think going forward, this is... This, this, is, probably, this, this is what this is the book that is the most formative. This is what has influenced right. I want to so, outside yeah. that a little. So that's why this yeah. book is very important that yeah. everyone should read because yeah. it, it so much of even the Batman now stems from the characterization that Miller introduced right. in '86 with this book. And, uh, I found an interesting thing here, um, kind of talking over the history of Dark Knight Returns and. At the time that the first book came out, uh, it says here that uh, Batman 393 was released the same month, written by, uh, who's this here, Doug Doug Monch? Monick? Yeah. I apologize if I yeah. slandered his name. And uh, guest penciler Paul Blasey. And that the tone of the book uh, during that time was more seeing Batman as a globe-trotting uh Mm-hmm. Man of action. Yeah, uh, there was a lot coming more, like, into contact with international, CIA, yeah, international agents. spy, so, yeah, espionage extent, kind of things. It, yeah. it was more adult, mm-hmm. but there was also he's more of a James Bond. More, yeah, yeah Roger Moore channeling James Bond, yeah. and um, following the release of Dark Knight Returns, that's when we get. Uh, who was that? Uh, the Batman, the Cult, with yeah. uh, Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson, yes. yeah. which was just macabre. I mean, it was I will gruesome. say this story made Batman darker. I think in the seventies. Let me let me back that up and clarify that. In the seventies, they made the Batman books darker. The villains got to be darker. The like Ra's al Ghul, Joker was back to yeah. being this crazy homicidal maniac. But I think you're right. Batman was not. They hadn't brought Batman to that level of darkness that we kind of have now. Um, I think this, I think like you're saying, this book did kind of bring Batman into the darkness and brought him, and I I have that as a question for us a little bit later, um, where there's not that much of a difference between Batman and his villains. Like there's a a thin tightrope of if he just stepped this way, watch out. Yeah. (laughs) Because he could very easily fall into the same chasm that Joker and... Harvey Two-Face Dent have fallen into and so this Batman I think is I think this is where you get the Batman that people look at and they're like well how is he all that different from he's on this side of the line just barely and his villains are on this side of the line and because I think Batman push him too far and he could this be this proved that Batman works best when he is a vehicle for social commentary mm-hmm. you know this is the first time a si- silly I use that pejoratively 
comic book character is talking about our world yeah. and issues that are affecting us. You know, we're not all going to be, you know, globe-trotting agents fighting Russian spies and stuff. Right. Oh, we're, but we're, we're not? What? Well, not this week. I thought I'm, I knew you. <laughs> but, you know, I'm... Batman, the character of Batman. supposed to tell people about that. <laughs> Nobody listens to this podcast anyway. We're whispering directly into the microphone. How about those cubbies? Oh, man. <laughs> but I digest. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but Batman, you know, um, is a character that faced traumatic events in his life, the murder of his parents. That's something that people can relate to. And how you deal with that trauma... Uh, Batman, as you pointed out, is eerily similar to the same villains that he goes up against. Mm-hmm. And uh, as recently as Christopher Nolan's uh, Batman movies, mm-hmm. The Dark Knight, you know, Joker does that great right. point of, or, you know, Joker consistently makes that point. He says, like, you're not that different from us. You're just a freak in a mask. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of world do we live in where they will accept you mm-hmm. putting on a mask and beating up, up people, but not me? Right. We're not that different. Yeah. So I have here one of the, I I grabbed a couple of different um, reviews that people had put up about this. And this one I found on Wikipedia. And they had mentioned that the New York Times gave the collected edition of this, the first (laughs) graphic novel, a negative review. Uh, The writer for the New York Times, Mordecai Richler, that's a great name, um, (laughs) said that he felt The Dark Knight Returns was not as imaginative as the work of Batman creator Bob Kane, and let's also insert Bill Finger. Um, Richler commented, quote, The stories are convoluted, difficult to follow, and crammed with far too much text. Uh, Go back to my earlier Hamilton reference. The drawings offer a grotesquely muscle-bound Batman and Superman, not the lovable champions of old. He concluded, If this book is meant for kids, I doubt they they will be pleased. If it is aimed at adults, they are not the sort I want to have a drink with. Do you agree or disagree with... Well, so his, his take on it. Th- there are a couple things to consider. It sounds like he has a history with reading Batman. So, yeah, he's not going to dig on this because it is not the Batman that he probably grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, this is these stories are the first really to, you know, as, as Tony kind of pointed out, these stories are, are kind of the first to provide social commentary, which is very different than any comics really of the time. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot new happening. It's interesting that what he focuses on is what he sees. He sees a lot of words. He sees a Batman that looks different than the Batman that he grew up with. And that, that seems to be the, his negative response to it. It's kind of funny that the literary critic is treating this graphic novel like a comic book instead of a piece of literature. Focusing on visuals instead of the words. Yeah. So, I mean, I would assume that uh, that he grew up looking at comics, looking at Batman comics, when there wasn't much to think about when you did. So, you know, again, along comes Dark Knight Returns and, you know, blows that theory all to hell. Yeah. There is so much. I mean, it's, it's such a, a juxtaposition. There is so much that you have to pay attention to and, and, and focus on as you read through just one of the four books, let alone all four within a sitting or a week or a month, however you decide to break it up. You have to be making sure that your mind is clear so you can appreciate everything that Miller did when, when he dropped this book out there. 
So uh, go back and reread what he had said about the uh, the way the characters were drawn. Yeah, he says, uh, the drawings offer a grotesquely muscle-bound Batman and Superman, not the lovable champions of old. Okay. I think part of that has to do with the, the art style. The art I style. Mean, obviously, it's meant to be a more and then, realistic, but I mean, I mean, it's... It's definitely not your typical he's comic com- book style. He, but he's comparing the visual mm-hmm. with the characterization. Right. And he's, he's comparing two different things there. Think about this. So here is one example. Um, we've got a full-page mm-hmm. picture of a bruised and battered Batman, yeah. costume torn, knuckles split open. Looks like he's just been in the fight of his life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, put into context within the frame of the story. That's, that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely the point. Yeah. This is an older this Batman. Is, this is a he's Batman that has gone through a life of 50s, being... 50s, going on 60s. Yeah. He's got the build of a solid linebacker mm-hmm. and has had his nose busted open probably mm-hmm. on multiple occasions. I don't want him looking like a pretty boy. Right. I want this older Batman to look like he's been in one fight too many. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, you know, Superman... Yeah. Another beautiful uh, full-page splash here of Superman lifting a tank over his head with a caption that reads, We must not remind them that giants walk the earth. That is, it's epic and lush, and that is exactly what you want Superman to look like. Just for its just for its comedic value, I enjoy that, and I forget which page it's on, I enjoy the picture of Superman where he's standing there in like the white silk shirt with like... Open at the chest, yeah. <laughs> we call that. We now call that the uh, Dennis Matuge. Okay, that's right. Yeah. And just to go into you know the the satire of the book, right. um, and there's like that, yeah, there's butterflies everywhere. Yeah, that yeah. page that you're referring to, the caption says, "There's just the sun in the sky and him, like he's the only reason it's all here." Yeah. Then he ruins everything by talking, <laughs> because that is how old Bruce Wayne would probably look at this young, handsome, beautiful Clark Kent just standing there soaking in the sun. Yeah. So I. I get some points that the critic makes, but that is clearly a guy who has not been exposed to mm-hmm. a literate graphic novel. Right. And yeah. d- did not know what to make of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it brings up an interesting question that I don't know if we have time probably, well, I don't want to get into it today, but it's something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Is what what options has he had in terms of getting into a graphic novel, a literate graphic novel? Right. What, I mean, what at options that point were in, there? In 1987, I mean, the, not you know, much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of the first uh, really heavy literate stories in comic book form dropped out there. So there's not much exposure right. that he could have had really before this. Well, and that's, and that's one of the reasons why you can consider 80, 86 to be like that pivotal year because you've got Watchmen, you've got Dark Knight Returns. This is the first time that comic books have been put on lists of, you know, some of the greatest literature in the world. Mm-hmm. And and before that, like comic books are you know, what a kid buys. They're on a spinner rack at the right. end of the counter. Right. And let us not forget that John Byrne relaunched Superman Man with Steel. The yeah. Man of Steel. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, like, what a seminal year. Yeah. All right, I have another, uh, I have another quote here. Um, somebody at Kim Fu uh, was a magazine editor from Canada. She wrote an article for NPR Books called Cape Crusader or Cruel Sadist. Uh, Miller makes one fan wonder. And she said, Where my Batman conquers madness, the trauma of his parents' death, the individual psychoses and obsessions of his villains, and the wider madness of the world, the Dark Knight's Batman is another madman in a costume. 
He's symbiotic with his enemies, even responsible for them. When Batman retires, the Joker falls into a comatose stupor. When Batman returns, the Joker snaps back to life, full of murderous plans. Their relationship has the seductive cosmic push-pull of a predestined romance. It's, so, it's right there in her review. Yeah. When, you know, my Batman. Right. So again, this is, this is an introduction seemingly of a really new take of this character in, in, in comic form. Yeah. Nobody knows how to process this. You know, that's two different reviews now that have alluded to this isn't my Batman. This isn't the one I'm used to, yeah. My answer to that would just simply be yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, Batman it's, is yeah. what we pour into it. It's just the vessel. Mm-hmm. And over the years, creators are empowered to interpret him as they see fit, which is why he can be a moral upstanding character and also stray closely to the villains he's trying to bring down. And the more that happens, the more you see that needle go one direction and the next, the more that social commentary is really allowed to breathe and and come forth. And I think we're better for it as readers. How do you feel that the... uh, Let's talk for a second about the villains in this comic and kind of the way that they're handled. Um, How did you feel about that? Because I definitely... I, I know... And this is something that's stuck with me for, for years since reading this. Absolutely creeped out by the Joker in this. Like more so, To me, this is one of the creepiest Jokers. Okay. And I think because it's not, there's almost not so much the madness. Like this, to me, almost seems like the most sane Joker that you've ever seen. But it's this weird, creepy, like he's in love with Batman. And to me, that that take on it has just kind of... That, to me, has made him creepier than almost any other incarnation I've ever seen of the Joker. That, like, he's this almost like a spurned lover. And that's why yeah. he has this just obsession with Batman. And and so, yeah. So, to me, this is, like, the creepiest Joker of any incarnation I've seen. I think the villains in Dark Knight Returns are almost tragic. Yeah. I don't, I don't resent them. I don't yeah. necessarily hate them as bad guys. Right. They're tragic figures, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Whenever it's like, one of them, I mean, Catwoman. She's yeah. this, time has not been kind to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's, was she running an escort service? I think that was yeah. her. Yeah. She's running the escort service and she's not doing well. Nope. You know, and, you, even and you've got Harvey Dent that you think is rehabilitated, yeah. but nah, not so much. I mean, it was cruel. You know, I mean, his face had been repaired mm-hmm. uh, and we'd been led to believe this whole time that that was the big problem, yeah. you know? But we find that, no, the, the problem runs much deeper than that. He is scarred, you know, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, beyond. But, I mean, all the, all, all the characters are in, in this uh, interpretation of the story. There aren't any positive characters in this story. Everyone, even, even the, the heroes. <laughs> Maybe Robin. Maybe. Maybe Robin, but yeah. Rob, that this Robin is so young yeah. that she's idealistic. She doesn't know any different. Yeah, she, you know, that's what she has going for her. Yeah. And, and maybe that's part of the commentary Miller was trying to make is that this world that these adults are living in, what are you introducing to the kids? Right. Um, but I mean, you, you look at Oliver Queen in this in this story. Talk about tragic. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Um, so I don't. I don't. You know. I. I think tra- tragic's a great word for it. All of these characters are are draped in in, in some sort of uh, tragedy that they've gone through. Um, I never interpreted Joker the way that you did, John, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. The thing about this Joker that really got me was that 
you never see the maniacal Joker that you see in almost every other introduction of the character. You know, whether it's in, in the comics or TV shows or movies, at some point that Joker just starts getting all jokery and laughing. The and clown thinking. prince of crime. Right. And and every panel that this one's in, he's got this just this resolute demeanor. Yeah, he's immaculately dressed. He and, speaks very well. And he's just, and it, it's, he's so quiet and so reserved and so powerful with with what he's making happen, you don't even realize what he's making happen. And that makes him utterly terrifying. And that's what scares me about him. It's, yeah. not, it's, it's not so much the relationship that he perceives that he has with Batman, it's the fact that he just presents himself as this very calm and collected mm-hmm. person and yet he's responsible for wiping out an entire troop of Boy Scouts. Yeah. Or killing people in the tunnel of love because they happen to be there. The thread that I think ties all of these tragic figures together is that they're all kind of looking for their identity. They, much the same as Two-Face lamented that half of him that was missing, they're all looking for that complementary piece to them. Mm -hmm. And that's really Bruce Wayne's antagonist here, is the Batman. It is that search for that side of him that he's been missing this whole time. It's like when you you retire from a job, what do you do? You know, I I, I think of my dad. My dad taught for 40 years and then retired at the end of a school year. And he made it through the summer, and September came and said, what do I do? Yeah. I don't know how not to do something. And he went out and he got another job. Because he just, you know, not having that part of his persona just made it difficult for him to do. You could almost draw the correlations, you know, um, being aware of Two-Face's crime spree kind of reawakens the Batman. And the reemergence of the Batman awakens the Joker. Mm-hmm. And the reemergence of the Batman brings Superman back into the picture. And these are all crucial aspects to Bruce Wayne, to the Batman, and kind of make him who he is. Yeah. This was... I have, we have our TV right next to us. Hey. This was the... Uh, this was the scene that I just remember always sticking with me, even when I had forgotten some of the other story of this, the fact that you get down to this final battle between Batman and the Joker, and Joker seemingly snaps his own neck. Yeah. Like, that's how it ends, is that you've had these other incarnations of the story for different movies and things like that, and it's always, you know, Batman's not going to kill, this is, but they always talk about this is, you know, how the final battle's going to go down between the two of them, and you seemingly have the final battle, and Batman's like, nope. I'm, I'm not going to kill you. I, I should kill you. Like, finally get rid of you. Finally, you know, end this killing spree that you've been on for years, but not going to do it. And then Joker is just like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I'll do it myself then. And my question to that is why? Yeah. Is he doing it because he is upholding his moral code? Or to go back to what I was just saying, is he not doing it because he needs the Joker to compliment the Batman? Mm-hmm. You know? And that, that was another point that uh, they addressed in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight movie was that yin and yang relationship between the two of them. Yeah. You know, you could almost make the argument that 
Bruce Wayne, or Batman, I guess I should say, wanted him alive, needed him to mm-hmm. be alive. And the Joker well, kind of wins it's by in, denying him that. It's in the villain that the hero finds purpose. Yeah. What's the point of, of, of being a hero if you have nothing to fight? Well, and the Joker they, takes that out of his hands and says, yeah. you know what? Jo- you, oh, you, the don't jo- get, you don't get a purpose. The Joker sacrifices himself for the ultimate power move. Yeah. yeah. Look at any comments here. They'll kill you for this. They're like, they'll kill you for this, but only you and I know you didn't have the nerve to kill me. Yeah. But I'm going to make your life a living hell. You because know, for you the will time know that you have left. For the rest of your time. You didn't kill me, you but know. everybody else is going to think that you killed me and, and they're going to come after you. So then it is kind of this interesting, like you were saying, it's this interesting take on the rest of society has turned Batman into a villain. Like this Ellen Yandel who's taking over for. James Gordon as the commissioner. She's put the warrant out for his arrest. They've been trying to track him down this entire story. And if they're turning Batman into a villain, what happens when Batman's greatest villain then disappears? Then does Batman slide into more of the villain spot? Yeah. Could we also talk for a second about just the final pose of oh, I know. the Joker just sitting there with a huge grin still mm-hmm. on his face, even in death? Laughing mm-hmm. at Batman. He's like missing one eye and <laughs> got that like, huge smile on that's, his face. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. And that pose of Batman kind of draping his arm over Joker's mm-hmm. body or where Joker was probably resting, that's not the pose of guys that necessarily hate each other. Right. You know, like those are guys that maybe just got into a brotherly yeah. fight and roughhoused a little bit and then just kind of slumped against the wall and said, okay. You done? I'm done. Right. So, so how does this idea then that the Batman needs the Joker play into? Um, I just forgot the title. The Batman story where he kills the Joker at the end. The killing joke. The killing joke. Yeah. Batman has the power and kills Joker at the end of the killing joke. I remember the day you told me that. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I almost fell out of the car. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I never put that together that Batman killed Joker at the end until you told me about that interview that you read, and I was like, what? <laughs> but it goes, I mean, it's it's completely contradictory to this, in which they're both saying, we need each other. You know, it, without sounding too cliche, they complete each other. Killing in order- Joke's always been one of those weird things that, like, kind of exists in continuity, kind of doesn't. Like, it, it's in continuity when it serves the greater benefit of, yep, that's the page, when it, it is to DC's benefit, you know, by uh, shooting Barbara Gordon, for example. But, you know, uh, we know now that Batman kills Joker here, but more and Bolin wisely sidestep that in the way that they choreograph that last panel. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it's so in contrast. And the more that we talk about the relationship between the two of them in The Dark Knight Returns, I can't help but just keep thinking about this. It's like a couple of buddies laughing, at, they're laughing at the same joke. Yeah. And then Batman just breaks his neck. Yeah. Which then takes you back to the, well, how far is Batman from his own villains? Not that far sometimes. And yeah, I mean, time after time you can make that argument that he has much more in common with them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
But, you know, the reason he's been allowed or tolerated, I guess, by society at large is because it's presumed that he operates under a moral code. He will not take a life. And so, you know, by having Joker sully his reputation. All right. Well, at this point, I get to step in and interject a little bit because... um, the the wrath of the Batman is, is going to be spilling through me right now. Um, basically, we had talked for another 45 minutes or so, and we were you know, running short on our time, and the guys had to go. So um, pretty much just as, as about when like, they absolutely had to leave and we were not going to have another time to get together and record this, we realized that the recording had stopped about a half hour to 40 minutes um, ago. So there was about 40 minutes of conversation that... You know, kind of our, our wrap-up of um, Dark Knight Returns. Um, and then some other talk that we did about some of our favorite Batman graphic novels. Um, uh, Jeff said that his was the Court of Owls story from the more recent comics. Um, I think Tony and I agreed that we both liked Batman Year One. Um, that was Tony's favorite. I, I ultimately, I think I said the Nightfall story was one of my favorites, too, because that's when I got, uh, when I was getting into comics, was around the time that that was happening. Um, so you missed some of that, and then we kind of wrapped up with a, a quick little, um, you know, five to ten minute recap of what we had said about our favorites, and then of course the audio file of that. As I'm going through and, and editing this, um, the somehow the the ten minutes that we did uh, of a re-recording got corrupted, so lost that as well. So I don't have the two gentlemen saying goodbye to you, but uh, thank you to both Tony and to Jeff for being here with me to talk about The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, maybe if we get some other comic book stuff going on, um, you know, we'll have everybody back again. And um, so I apologize to the listeners and to both Tony and Jeff that um, whatever's going on with the, the files there, this is going to be lesson number whatever for me when it comes to podcasting. I'm going to have some kind of a backup system going there. Um, and normally we do have that when we're when the, those of us are recording over Google Hangout. We've kind of got that that file to save us uh, just in case something goes wrong. But we were doing it in person this time, so we didn't have that set up. So my bad, my B. Um, but uh, yeah, so sorry about that. Uh, hopefully you did enjoy the discussion that we did have going about the comic books, the the movie trailers, the DC DC TV. Um, all the stuff we talked about this time is a longer than normal uh, episode. And uh, so hopefully you enjoyed that. And uh, that is going to wrap up our discussion of the comics from 1986. Uh, so if you want to find us online, you can go to 30podcast.com. We're also facebook.com slash 30podcast. We are at 30podcast on Twitter. Uh, we have an Instagram. We have a voicemail line. If you want to call us and leave a voicemail uh, to talk about some of the movies or comics, that we've been talking about. Um, our voicemail line is 87235-MOVIE. That's 872-356-6843. So let us know if you've got some feedback for us. Um, otherwise, we will be back uh, actually in just a couple of days or so. We are going to be posting up our episode for the 1986 remake of The Fly, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. So hopefully you join us back for that. Again, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Jeff. Had a great time. Um, sorry that we didn't get to have the rest of that discussion in there because it was a great discussion. We solved the world's problems. We fixed Batman versus Superman. Um, everything, all that stuff we did in, in a matter of, you know, two and a half hours. So, um, but uh, otherwise, we will see you all next time. Thank you so much for joining us. 
and uh, be excellent to each other and go read some good comics and watch some good movies. We'll see you next time. We could have changed the world. Now look at us. I've become a political liability, and you, you're a joke. I want you to remember, Clark, and all the years to come, in your most private moments. I want you to remember my hand and your throat. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. <laughs>